The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, this is Scott Norton, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Jeremy Dolman here with the young boy Josh Smith and Dylan Fox from Eastern Lariat. On today's show, we'll be reviewing New Japan Road, the Tiger Hattori Retirement Event, the Nakanishi Retirement Event, answering your questions, and covering all latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network or to Keeping It Strong Style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. This week's episode of Keeping It Strong Style is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. Visit njpwext.us today for details. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. And like you heard in the intro, guys, we have a special guest today, Dylan Fox from the Eastern Lariat. How you doing, Dylan? Oh, man. Jeremy, I'm so happy to be on right now. I've, I, like I said, off the air, I've been listening for a while now. And when you got at me to come on here, uh, I'm just real happy to continue uh, being on the Social Suplex uh, Network here. I was on the end of the year shows with James. And I know a lot of people really like that show, uh, talking about Joshi ProRes. Now I'm talking about uh, the men's game here. Obviously, when it comes to uh, ProRes in Japan, New Japan is always what you think of. So I'm glad that I got called up to the big time right now. Uh, the big stage uh, with <laughs> Young Boy and JD, I'm ready to go right now. The funny thing is um, when we were talking to Dylan off the air, I was like, you know, I really enjoyed, you know, your, your, you know, being on the show you did with, uh, you know, One Nation Radio. He's like, oh, yeah, the flagship. I'm like, this is the flagship. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Just like I told you, I'll tell the listeners, too, any show I'm on is the flagship. That's right. <laughs> with that, uh, you know, I, I'll edit it around myself. Just like I said, uh, when this first guy brought up, it wasn't even uh, my idea, but actually somebody who listened to that show messaged us on Twitter and was saying, oh, man, Dylan, you got to come on keeping a strong style. And I was like, man, 
is going to be keeping it Memphis style when I come <laughs> up there. But not, not, not the not wrestling. That's just I'm from Memphis. So, <laughs> you know, like the, the actual wrestling will be Japanese. Don't worry. It's not going to be anything crazy. But, well, you know, uh, it's good that we, we got out of Florida <laughs> with the guest star right now out of the Tampa area. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we know we want to we want to go uh, pop the territory, bringing a big draw from another promotion, from another state, you know, so... We had to call in the big man from Memphis, man. Well, you might as well say it is uh, Memphis style because Gato and Jado love CWA from Memphis, <laughs> heavily influenced by that style of wrestling. I mean, I love that, you know, the early 80s, 80, like 80 to like 87, like Memphis, all the Lawler stuff. It's incredible. So, um, yeah, the booking um, that Gato does heavily influenced by that for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. He's a big fan of that whole whole style, that whole scene. Uh, but, you know, obviously the styles evolve and they mix and match things throughout the year. Uh, some people would say that it's not even a strong style anymore. It's not. Of, you know, uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy how it's changed so much. But it may, Gato may not keep a strong style, but we're going to keep it style. <laughs> one one thing right. – one thing before we uh, get to, because we're going to do a, a um, ask you some questions here, Dylan. Uh, Jeremy, you yeah. forgot to uh, shill our own merch. Oh you, yeah, you got a phone call and you you jumped ahead on your your scripting here. You forgot to make sh- sure to let the uh, listeners know to check out our pro wrestling tea store. I know some number just like called me. It totally <laughs> it came up on my phone and my iPad. I was doing my read. I was like, oh man, where am I? Let's kind of like jump forward. So yeah, you can. Check out ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. And also, um, you guys might have noticed we have a new sponsor to this show, uh, the New Japan Pro Wrestling Extension. That's right. So some of you guys might know Danny, um, who runs the NJPWEXT, you know, the only extension for NJPWWorld.com. And it's a great way, if you're using Google Chrome, to watch New Japan and you know, you don't want those spoilers. You get that spoiler-free mode and just some improved translation and stuff. So it, it's awesome. Just yeah, instead of seeing Beast God Liger, you get Jushin Thunder Liger, or Bad Rack Fare, you get Bad Luck Fale. <laughs> it, it's it's awesome. Plus, we're featured on there now. Yeah. So on on the sliders there, you can click straight to keeping a strong style from the sliders there. As you're watching your New Japan World, you can link over to us afterwards or before, however you want to do it. So. Shout out to uh, Danny for getting that all set up and really looking forward to working with him. Yeah, we are honored. Like, that is such a cool thing. I mean, there's any other number of, like, publications, podcasts, and people that cover, you know, New Japan. But, you know, we obviously are so, um, you know, passionate about this, and we're just so, like, privileged to even be considered to be part of this. Like, we are huge fans of the extension, and, like, when Jeremy told me about it, I was like, really? That's happening? Like, this is incredible. <laughs> so I'm, I'm super psyched about that, and uh, shout out to Danny. Yeah. So, all right, Dylan. So, tell the listeners, tell us, when did you start watching Pure Rezu? Yeah, you know, uh, first of all, big shouts to Danny. Uh, the extension style is uh, super awesome. I'm gonna have to get on that myself right now. You you sold me on the ad read right there. Boom. Uh, so, you know, Dan, Dan, you know, you gotta message Danny, send him the link to this show, and let him know that, you, that you've got a new subscriber right now with me. But. <laughs> Uh, in terms of the when I started watching ProRes, it was it's an interesting story a little bit because where I grew up, I, I mentioned from I'm from Memphis and stuff, uh, and I think 
it was a lot harder for someone like me to watch pro res back in the, the old days, obviously. And a lot of people probably never even thought of watching it anyway back then. But for me, I didn't even have the internet until I was like 16, like, you know, 2008 or something like that. Uh, you know, like I said, it was pretty rough in North Memphis. So, you know, so <laughs> I, I, I finally, it really was, like I said, you know, it's kind of crazy how things play out sometimes, but I was able to get the internet. Uh, and at this point, I don't know if everybody knows this too much, but I was actually wrestling. Uh, myself like uh on some it's some really small like indies like uh, uh the t i won one title in my whole career and it was called the public access tv title <laughs> <laughs> that's cool man <laughs> i'm not that's not even a joke that's just like, I, I wish it was a lie but it's it's not uh you are know, you still champion huh are you still champion uh, no, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> I, I, I dropped on that a little while ago, but I am working my way up because I was working on a comeback last year, but you, you never know how things can go sometimes. But so these were really, like really small companies, but uh, some people would talk about like ring of honor and stuff. And I was like, I don't care about that cheesy wrestling. <laughs> like pretty much like all I knew at first was basically whatever was on TV. Mm. So when I got the internet, I was able to find out, I was like, Whoa, they're like, there's actually more than two companies that are, uh, you know, that are actually good. Cause it's like, no, no offense to, you know, ASW where, where I wrestled, but like, it was, it was kind of cheesy, you know, like, you know, Tennessee style wrestling, I guess you could say, uh, I was probably the best worker and I was like 15. Well, if you're from Memphis, that means you throw impeccable working punches. That that is true. Uh, I mean, I like to think everything I did was impeccable. Uh, <laughs> impeccable now, but you believe it. Regardless of, regardless of that, though, I finally got the internet around 2008, and I started watching that same year. But not really. I didn't really start watching until the year after because that's when I had to stop wrestling because uh, I had a pretty bad injury at the time, and I started. And the, that was my way of keeping like, because it's like, oh man. Like, is my dream over? <laughs> like, like, pretty much at that time. Like, I'm only 17 years old. And then I this internet is being able to figure out how to actually watch stuff. I used to get stuff on my, uh, at the time, it was this was before PS4, but on my PS3, I used to download, like, Japanese wrestling videos and stuff like that, scouring the web. YouTube had a ton of Noah matches at the time. So, yeah, it was around 2009 was when I started watching, which even then, even though I, I probably got the internet later than everyone else, uh, I probably jumped in ahead of a lot of a lot of people that are New Japan fans now, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the coverage that you guys do on Eastern Lariat is invaluable and just awesome. So um, I can definitely attest to that for sure. Um, as far as, like, you know, what you started watching when it comes to Perezu, I mean, like, what was, like, your initial entry? Was it, like, the deathmatch stuff? Was it juniors, All Japan? You know, what, what kind of kicked it off for you? Well, there was uh, this forum that I went to that I joined probably around that same time. It was called Strong Style Symphony, and... Like at the time, that's where I, I followed a lot of the wrestling, where I learned a lot of stuff. And those, like the people there were like way knowledge, more knowledgeable than me at the time. So I learned a lot of stuff quick uh, from there. They had the download links and stuff like that there. I don't even think that that place is still around anymore. No. Yeah, yeah. But I, I was there. So I watched a little bit of everything. But the main things I started watching uh, was not New Japan, actually, because back in those days, it was kind of like, oh, we'll wait, like a show would happen, and hopefully we can get it in like three months, <laughs> pretty Man, much. Man, rough. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not like it is now, pretty pretty much, where everything's at, at the tip of your fingertips, pretty much. So when I was watching stuff, the main thing I would watch was actually Noah, because that was the main thing that was on YouTube, and I right. could watch that. You know, there was a ton of backlog on that. New Japan really wasn't that active on YouTube. I don't know uh, why that was, <laughs> more or less, uh, but somehow or another, Noah had a much more of a YouTube presence than New Japan at the time. So that was my main one. My my other main one was this is going to sound crazy, uh, but my my main company that I also watched was a company called Ice Ribbon, which is a Joshi Pro Res company, mm-hmm. and the the reason for that is. They used to have a show on Ustream, uh, which happened pretty much like live. And this was before New Japan did the pay-per-views, by the way. This was like 2010, 2011. They had a show, a show called 19 O'Clock Pro Wrestling. And I used to watch that every week on Ustream. I'd stay up to Well, I wasn't really staying up. I, I like to say I'm always on, you know, Japanese time when it comes to my <laughs> body, uh, pretty much. Even back then, I was staying up all night. It's, it's Somniac and all that stuff. But uh, the point is, I watched that show very heavily. So those were, like, my main two things at first. And then when New Japan started having the shows on Ustream, then you could watch that pretty much every month, which was a lot different than where it was when just, just the three years ago when I started watching, pretty much. Yeah, it's definitely like a, a game changer there for the way people were able to watch New Japan, you know, watch a little bit more, you know, kind of in sync instead of yeah, having to wait in the three months and stuff like that. Yeah, I remember when they uh, they did the G1 the one year before they launched the network and they did it like where you could uh, you could get it the same day, but you had to pay like something crazy, like $165, $175 for the whole G1. And, like, people were paying yep. for it, and they're like, this is incredible. <laughs> I can watch the G1 live. <laughs> so, well, see, and, and at the time, that was a hell of a deal. You got to remember because, like, this was before, like, WWE Network came out or anything like that, and all the pay-per-views were, like, 60 bucks. So now with this New Japan G1 thing, you pay 120 bucks, and you get – 20 shows or however, right. or however probably 10 shows because they used to do it where both blocks were on the same shows so you get like 10 shows for the price of two that's a pretty that was a pretty game-changing deal i was very happy to pay that as well at the time but nowadays if somebody tried that they'd be like we'd be like what are they thinking that's great that's outrageous <laughs> yeah at the time it was a great deal that, that's not even 10 years ago isn't it crazy take, uh, how things change sometimes take hey, note take one, note vince and espn <laughs> Huh? What'd you say? I said, take note, Vince and ESPN. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a whole different <laughs> issue right, right there to the McMahon family right now. But what were you saying? We'll see how. But yeah, I was just going to ask y'all do y'all think that Ustream's still around? Because <laughs> I've never seen anything uploaded on there or heard about it in probably since they stopped doing those pay per views. Yeah, I haven't heard any. I don't. I haven't heard of anything being up up there right now. I don't even know if it's still active right I now. Think, I think a few years ago, Ring of Honor was still doing their uh, like internet pay per views on Ustream at some point. Maybe I'm mistaken on that, but uh, mm. I, I don't know anyone that's. I mean, all the plethora of it wasn't like, that like or something for Ring of Honor. Yeah, I think that was something else. Uh, maybe I'm mistaken, but yeah, it's been a long time since I heard anything about Ustream. Yeah, and it's just kind of crazy. Like I said, that's where I really started off watching like weekly pro wrestling, and even in the form of this goofy, you know, Joshi company at the time, uh, you know, that really appealed to me for whatever reason. And nowadays, you you know, it went from that to the big show New Japan getting on there, 
and then it's turned into this with so many the network started it and the streaming services that have popped up throughout the entire industry pretty much have started but especially in japan and it's just kind of crazy because you know in japan the streaming services really aren't as big you know even if it's like even like netflix and stuff isn't as big over there as it is in the west but now all these companies have these services and a lot of them are actually tailored to english-speaking fans and that's something that was unimaginable when i first started i was just like well japan's got this way better wrestling than I, that i'm seeing on tv 2009 wwe was not fun <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you right now so i was like wow this stuff's way better than, than what i see on tv and you know and it's, it's just a shame i i wish i had started watching it when i was still wrestling because it's like I, there's all these moves i could steal <laughs> like that, that, was, that was my first thing but then and it never it never came to pass but you know, it was a lot of fun, but that's around the time to shorten up this answer. 2009 was probably when I started watching all that. You, you could have been throwing uh, Suzuki elbow strikes and stuff like that and, you know, Kawada chops. <laughs> uh, back then, it was pre- he was wrestling like Mecha Mummy <laughs> there yeah. and stuff like that. That was the matches of Suzuki I saw was that, uh, so, uh, you know. For Suzuki, he's a he's an interesting guy, <laughs> just yeah. to say the least. An yeah. interesting wrestler, very unique background, and we can see that when he wrestles Orange Cassidy at <laughs> WrestleMania. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll be there. <laughs> but yeah, def- I definitely yeah. feel you on the whole like stealing moves. So like, I didn't get to the pro level, but I was like, a backyard wrestler, and we had our own little fed or whatever, and like a lot of stuff. Like, I would take a lot of moves. Like, I started watching like Ring of Honor around that time, and like I would take a lot of Ring of Honor moves. And, like now, I'm like, man, like if I was watching New Japan back then, like I'd be trying to like. Drop people on their heads like back suplex <laughs> and like do pumping bombers and like B triggers of people. This, this man was hitting Saito's. <laughs> Every time uh, we watch NXT, we see uh, the the Gargano escape. That's the jurisdiction. Yeah, John, Johnny was watching them. John Juris, you know, backyard tapes. Saw me locking on that uh, that jurisdiction crossface hold. Well, that's why I asked uh, Dylan if he was still champion because I'm pretty sure Jeremy is still the incumbent. Uh, GUW uh, reigning champion. You guys can have a unifi- unification match. Oh my god, that, that, that could be a that could be a, at this point. You know the way things are going now, that could be a WrestleMania weekend show in the, in the works. Pretty much. Yeah, man. Maybe we can get uh, booked on spring break, man. Sure. Like I said, you know, um, well, it's funny because when I first started wrestling, all my moves were stolen, not from Japan wrestling, but or maybe they technically were. What I stole them from was the video games. SmackDown, Here Comes the Pain. Mm, yes, the video game had some raw moves. Yeah, it's like they had all these cool moves that nobody did. And I just thought they were like they were like these secret moves that only <laughs> people who played the video games knew about. Uh, the first move I did, I don't know if y'all are familiar with this. I mentioned this on the Joshi podcast I did with James. But the first move I did, like right away, and it pissed everybody off <laughs> like at the time. I, I had, there was one move I knew. If this was my one and only match, I had to hit it. Burning and hammer. This up. It, it, no, no, no. <laughs> it's called something. Uh, it's called something else now. I'm sure. I don't even think it's in the new games. But at the time, look it up. It's uh, Jungle Kiona's Muscle Buster version. Uh, but on the SmackDown, here comes the pain. It was called the Mexican Stretch Buster. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the coolest move ever. I had to hit it right away. <laughs> and they were like, oh my God. Yeah, like, yeah, it was it was perfect. And the thing is, I was perfectly safe to the one I did it to. It was my, but I hurt my shoulder right away. Like my first move, I, I almost injured myself. So uh, I, I had to tone it down. And it's a funny thing now, when I made my comeback last year a little bit, uh, most of the moves I were doing were a lot more toned down 
uh, much more basic. Not that I didn't do any cool stuff, but like, you know, now as I've grown older, because uh, as a teenager, a t- teenager, I was like, man, I just want to do all these cool moves, <laughs> pretty much. But now it's like I'm thinking about different stuff like psychology, psychology, and, and all that <laughs> I care less about. As a teenager, I just wanted to do these video game moves that I saw and have the best work rate matches possible. That no, and especially where I, where the people I was wrestling, it's like you know, bottom of the barrel when it comes to uh, wrestling. It's like we had a guy called Bonesaw, and I'm sure there's like a million bone saws, but th- this bone saw, his gimmick was that he would bring an actual saw to the ring. Uh, I don't know if anybody would know this <laughs> listening, but he would bring a saw to the ring, and he sometimes he saw like blade somebody like that, but usually what he would do is hit somebody with the flat end of the saw in the face. And I, even as a teenager, I told him, I said, we can't do that. <laughs> so, like that, I don't want. It's not because I was worried. It's because this looks so stupid. <laughs> like I, I can't, I can't explain how crazy it was. But maybe that's a gimmick that we could see in New Japan later on. <laughs> somebody hit somebody with flat part of the saw, not not the blade, but the the thick part or whatever. Yeah, maybe that's uh, what I want to see. Maybe a uh, Taiji Ishimori can do that as part of like his uh, his bone shoulder gimmick. There you go. If he ever breaks off from Switchblade, it could be the Battle of the Blades. Mm. Right, right, right there. <laughs> well, well, your background and uh, exposure to Perezu is a little bit more varied and uh, different than ours, so I'm really excited to uh, get your takes on these shows. But uh, before we do that, real quickly, what's your favorite match and your favorite wrestler? Uh, favorite match is easy. Like, whenever I think of this, because it was the very first Japanese match I ever watched. Uh, it's crazy to say, but it really did change my life. And the first one I, I told y'all about Noah on YouTube, and the first match I ever saw was Naomichi Marafuji's only title, successful title defense of the GHC title in 2006, October 29, 2006. Marafuji versus Kenta. Awesome. Uh, their big match. Yeah, like that is my, always going to be my favorite. And like I said, I know sometimes when you watch these matches, you go back with more of an analytical eye. With me, it's like I could watch that match 100,000 times. And I'll always think of where, you know, where I was when I first started watching it. I don't, I don't even care. That's the one match, like, you know, that I'll never be able to see in any other light other than this was like a great match, one of my favorites of all time. So that that's the answer I always give to that question. Nice. What about your favorite New Japan match? Oh, New Japan match. Oh, there are so many, like, when, when that one comes around because... No cheating, just one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, see, I see. I have to think about that a little bit more because New Japan, there's so many. If I had to pick one, uh, like one that was kind of like special to me, it would be Hiroki Goto versus Hiroshi Tanahashi from uh, June 2011. I knew it was going to be that one. Yeah, see, like that, that's the one that I always go back to because that was the one time I felt Goto. If you listen to my other show, Eastern Lariat, you know that I'm, I've always supported Goto ever since I started watching uh, Pro Res. And that was the one time he worked. He, he had a true heel push. He had this awesome gimmick. Came back, came back with these uh, great pants <laughs> that, that I can't even <laughs> describe properly. Uh, they, they were very flowing and, and, you know, everything. But he had a great match with Tanahashi. They ruined his push afterwards, so it's like a love-hate match, but it's always the one that stands out the most to me. Yeah, it's like one of the top standout matches of 2011, just killer. And then uh, favorite yeah. wrestler for you? Yeah, for for favorite wrestler, see, 
Uh, there's so there's so much wrestling I've watched over the years now. Like I said, at that that moment, like I said, of starting watching Perez, both changed my life for the better, but also ruined it in some ways <laughs> because it's like wrestling became my life afterwards, even more so than it already was. So that's kind of crazy. But for me, favorite wrestler overall, it would have to be somebody. See, because as I've grown older, I've become to a to appreciate like the 90s style wrestlers more. And to me overall, Jumbo Saruta, I think is the greatest wrestler of all. I freaking Uh, love Jumbo. (laughs) That's my guy right there. And not not to cheap plug y'all right now, but uh, Eastern Lariat on the Patreon we do, the patreon.com slash Eastern Lariat. I do this series about the 90s where I'm doing the top 50 matches every year. And we just got done with 92. And that's like the year that Jumbo... I got sick. So that was his last year. But those three years, it was like he was the wrestler of the year the first two years, clearly. And the second, like the third one, he could have been if he hadn't got sick. And that's, and that's like 30 years into his career almost. Right. You know, like that's the, the craziest part. And, and all the stuff I watched in the 80s, I loved. Uh, he probably had my favorite match in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So Jumbo's the one I always think of. Uh, but if I was to go for a New Japan wrestler, there's somebody who was uh, very influential uh, to me ex- actually as well, and he doesn't wrestle with them now. But if there are any old school New Japan fans around, and he still pops up the indies nowadays a little bit, but Koji Kanemoto, mm. my favorite junior heavy wrestler of all time, because uh, I always liked the juniors a little bit more. They resonated with me a little bit more than the heavyweights uh, at the time, even though you know, not that I'm exceedingly small, but. You know, five ten to fifteen, like back in two when I wrestled, was like small. <laughs> you know, like nowadays it's like average size, and in Japan that's probably the size of a heavyweight. But back then, I resonated more with the younger guy or the the smaller guys. So Kanemoto to me, such a great technician, uh, all around wrestler. I think he's really amazing, and I'd highly recommend people to watch his stuff. I, I and along with Otani as well, just wrestling. <sighs> Oh, Tani's great. I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but one thing I'd like to say is, you know, because I don't get a chance to talk about Jumbo on this podcast very often, (laughs) but, you know, we always talk about, like, some of the great wrestlers of today and how they reinvented themselves so many different times, you know, Jericho, Undertaker, guys like that, Um, you know, and you, you think about, like, even Terry Funk, all these guys that went through career changes, but, like, Jumbo is somebody who did the same thing throughout the course of his career, but without changing, like, it wasn't so much a gimmick or character, even though he went through some character changes, it was more the way he wrestled throughout the, the course of his career. He wrestled so many, like, very different styles. Like, he, how he was in the 70s versus the 80s versus the 90s are so different, but still on, like, such an excellent level that that's why, like, people, when they, if, if anybody knows anything about Jumbo, like, there's such a strong argument for him being one of the greatest workers of all time because he was able to adapt with the times each time and he was able to change his style. Like I, I love Jumbo. Jumbo is so great. Uh, that's music to my ears hearing you say that. And you, you're, <laughs> you're, what, you, what you said was like pure facts right, right there. The, the crazy thing is he went through an era where everything changed dramatically, like, like way more than what we would see now. Like, cause when he first started and when he was like early on in the eighties, all of Japanese wrestling was like maybe like once or twice a year, there'd be a finish to a match, like just mm-hmm. a finish. Other times there'd be a, a count out 
or a DQ or some bullcrap. And, like, everybody thought that that was going to happen. Like, you could even see uh, – there's matches with, like, Rick Martel and Ric Flair. Right. Uh, in Japan. All Japan, where they yeah. go on the outside. Yeah, yeah, in all Japan at the time. That's where Jumbo wrestled. Uh, he – and, like, the crowd would react to them going outside the ring because they knew that's where the finish would probably happen. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, see, so then it changed when uh, Choshu jumped from New Japan to all Japan. Uh, and Tenru came, you know, really came up, and he had his legendary feud with Jumbo, Tenru and Jumbo. And then UWF came around. The, the second version was really more influential than the first one. But right. uh, basically, basically the, it's like they changed everything. Ababa was like the booker of all Japan, legendary wrestler. He said, all clean finishes from now on, the whole thing's changed. Uh, so you had like a very dramatic shift. And then when Misawa and company really blew up, uh, you know, Kawada and Kawada and Misawa were around before then. But when they really blew up and became the four pillars that we know, that's when the style changed even more. And, you know, Jumbo was at the, to the very start of all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like Usher, all of those guys in and really made all four of those guys into the legends. And I know all four of the other guys are probably a lot more popular now- nowadays. Uh, Misawa, Kawada. Uh, Kobashi, Tawei a little bit. He kind of gets slacked on sometimes, right? <laughs> but, uh, 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 yeah, but, but he he was great too. You know, I, I always give him respect. But uh, let's just say if you don't like Tawei, Akiyama would be the unofficial fourth pillar. Uh, the style that those guys brought started with Jumbo, so I, yeah. I feel like you have to give him props. For- it, it's funny, like when whenever people try to talk about the four pillars, they talk about all Japan. They like their starting point as a clean, easy starting point to be that famous match with Jumbo and Mizawa. I think it was June some June in 1990. I, I believe I could be wrong, and um, but really you have to go back to 88 and 89, and you have to watch the series of matches between uh, Zeruda and Jumbo and um, Stan Stan Hansen yep. because that is what started that style. And if you don't watch those matches, you don't have a proper perspective on what what was to come in the 90s. So I, I love that stuff, um, but. We need to get onto the New Japan talk. <laughs> yeah, but definitely, I, I love you know getting the history talk. You know, Josh is so knowledgeable, and you are too, Dylan. So it's always great to kind of get that you know history and background. You know, some of the '90s, '80s stuff. But um, yeah, we got some uh, 2020 stuff to talk about here today, and uh, we had four Cork and Hall shows this past week. Four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was a, a long week here in the uh, New Japan world and in the dojo. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we uh, kick things off with, on February 19th. We had the Tiger Hattori retirement show. So finally, you know, there were several, you know, Tiger Hattori kind of retirement shows between the U.S. and Japan. But this was kind of the final one where Tiger refereed his last two matches in the semi and main event of this show. So how you want to do this, Jeremy? You want to go through the uh, results and we don't have to review every match, but you want to go through the results and talk about talking points. And then maybe we'll focus more on like the, the bigger matches. Yeah, that sounds good to me. So, yeah, so this card opened up with uh, Toa Hanare, Tomioka Hanma, and Togi Makabe defeating the Young Lion team of Yotosuji, Yuyamura, and Gabriel Kidd, 9 minutes and 25 seconds. So, yeah, I mean, this one, just, you know, standard good opener here. Wasn't really, not really too much story going on here. Essentially, it's kind of what we talked about last week where you kind of had that ongoing rivalry with uh, Hanare and Suji. And also, you know, Imora and Gabriel Kidd trying to prove themselves. The, the, the main story coming out of this match was the scrap post-match with everybody. 
That's right. Yeah, this is the match had that kind of that that angle here where they're all just kind of like brawling with each other. I wonder if that's going to go anywhere uh, because I think that uh, the main thing for me when when I watched this was Hidari getting the win, and he's somebody I've had my eye on for years now. As, as it turns out, it feels like just yesterday he uh, really started improving. And obviously he had a big tag run last year, the tag league run with Tanahashi last year. I thought he was really good in. And I was hoping that they do something with him, and they seem to have some stuff on the horizon with him. His name gets brought up by Shingo uh, at the start of the month, and then they have this angle uh, after the match. And uh, you can tell they're starting to get behind the young Lions here. Uh, and I think they see a lot of value, and especially Suji and Uemura. Uh, I think they, I think New Japan is very happy with these guys right now, uh, carrying the torch. Where obviously I thought last, the last two guys that came that left, uh, Umino and Narita, are super special. Yes, and I think a lot of people. Uh, and these guys are like in a tough position because it's like they have to pass the torch between one of like the best classes we've seen. And Ever. I think Dave, <laughs> I think New Japan's happy with me, even if we're yeah. Yeah, yeah, we are big Red Narita fans on this show. We were holding up the Narita, you know, bandwagon flag here on this show. Oh, we for, still are. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so yeah, love Red Narita, but yeah, Suji and Yumura uh, have been looking good here, and as well as Gabriel Kid. So you know, good opening match, a nice little you know post match angle there with Toa Nara kind of slapping the crap out of Suji. After that, show Yo and Will Osprey pick up a big win over uh, Taguchi, Rocky Romero, and Tiger Mask. Osprey. Uh, Cutting off the cheeky Nando or Osprey uh, hitting the cheeky Nandos and the hook kick and Stormbreaker uh, to pick up the big heavyweight win. Uh, the big story coming out of this match, though, was post match Taguchi and Rocky Romero attacking Rapongi 3K to set up their uh, title match for later on on the tour, uh, putting both members of Rapongi 3K in submission holds. Yeah, that was kind of very interesting to see. You know, it, it seemed like it was going to be kind of like friendly fire kind of building up to this match. But then, yeah, the post-match attack by the mega coaches made things a little bit more heated going into the junior tag title match. Uh, it was a nice way to build up their title match. Uh, obviously, this was kind of something that it got basically started at the start of the month and it's going to be over two weeks later or however long it was before the match. So they just, this was just something to heat that up a little bit, but the match, the match was pretty solid. You know, it was, it was nice. Yeah. So then following that, we had juice Robinson, David Finley, Yoshihashi defeating the team of evil Hiromu Takahashi and Bushi. Yep. A nice little three or uh, three star match, nine minutes, Good energetic and energetic tag match. Yeah, you know, uh, we talked about it last week with Finn Juice kind of being kind of in limbo right now. Not, you know, they're kind of waiting to see what happens with the tag title scene. And so it's kind of a big win here over LIJ to kind of maybe keep them in that tag title picture. It's, it's good to heat them up, too, heading into the New Japan Cup. I, I think Finley will be in that this year. Uh, his opportunity last year got taken out by injury. So... That, that's good, and you know you've got Ibushi is one of the greatest lost posts in New, New Japan for wrestling for sure. Anytime Bushi's on a, in a match, I automatically pin him taking the fall. I know last <laughs> week you were, you were kind of predicting that maybe they would win here, but as soon as I saw Bushi, I saw Bushi, I knew what, how this was going to play out, and I, I felt like I was totally justified here. Um, I really like these uh, undercard matches actually, especially when Yoshihashi's involved. 
Uh, not that he's like the greatest wrestler or anything. Not like he's the next Ishii, but he's somebody that always tries hard in these matches and makes them very entertaining. So he always kind of stands out. Finley, I think you can say the same about. Uh, like those guys always try their best here. Hiromu has no off switch. And, you know, Bushi, he, he did a great job when he was on the mat t- taking the fall. I would say. <laughs> well, this is a podcast that is uh, been critical of Yoshihashi in the past, but he's had some good showings uh, to start off this year. So we'll look to see where that leads him. Um, afterwards, we had uh, the team of uh, Manabu Nakanishi, Hiroyoshi Tenzan, Satoshi Kojima, and Yuji Nagata defeating in a surprise upset the four man team of Suzuki Goon, which was a bit surprising here. Dude, I popped so big for this. As anybody who's listening to this podcast knows, I'm a big fan of Satoshi Kojima. And when he hit that big Western lariat and spinned Kanemaru around and got the pin on him, I was so excited. Yeah, I mean, feel good moment. Um, you know, we kind of anticipated the the dads to uh, take multiple losses, and they start off with a big W here on the start of this uh, four night tour. Yeah, when I started watching ProRes, Kojima had just, like, he was at the tail end of his run in All Japan, and I remember when he returned and how huge of a deal that was at the time. Uh, Nagato was, like, my original, like, when I when I started watching then, he was, like, my guy in New Japan uh, at the time. More so than Tanahashi or Nakamura, like, Nagato was like, man, this guy's awesome, great wrestler, and Kojima brought in his own style and did really good. Um the match was what it was. Like most of these guys are old or just don't care <laughs> about these little matches in terms of the Suzuki Goon guys. But for the third generation, it's like this is Nakanishi's last tour, and they and we could see that they were going to try hard. They worked to make hard. It work. Yeah, the third generation dads, like especially yeah. like starting with like last month, they've been picking up wins and like they've been working really hard. Especially even Nakanishi, like you know, busting mm-hmm. up the planches and other kind of big moves and just really being really fired up. Like all these guys, all four of them looked great this week. Yep, and then uh, after that we had a uh, the team of Tanahashi, Ibushi, Yano, Colt Cabana taking on the Bull Club team of God, Jay White, and Bad Luck Fale. Uh, the um, Hantai team picks up the big win here. Yeah, so I'll see they're you know building up for that IWGP Tag Title match with Tanahashi and Ibushi against God, and then also you know trying to build up Cabana and Yano as well as uh, you know Jay White and Bad Luck Fale. And Kokobana hit that Superman pin here, the most dangerous move in New Japan. And, <laughs> and that kind of keeps Cabana and Yano, you know, brings their names up as, uh, you know, contenders for the tag titles. Now, as I mentioned last week, I, di- I wouldn't be watching the entirety of these shows. I didn't get a chance to, uh, you know, check out any of these multi-man bull club uh, matches, but I heard that they were not so hot throughout the tour. Yeah, what do you think, Dylan? Uh, this isn't my style of match. Uh, first of all, with, with Cabana and Yano and well, any of the Bullet Club guys, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, like, like This just isn't my thing. The main thing I took away from it, I, I didn't think the match was that great either. But I always feel that way. So if, if you're maybe, uh, to the listeners out there, if you're more of a fan of these guys and are more entertained by seeing Yano and Cabana do the same thing <laughs> that they've done for many, many times... Uh, then, you know, you might have liked this one. But for me, it's not for me. The main thing I took away from it was Tiger low-blowing uh, Jado and Gato. Yes. Yeah, that was the uh, the post-match. Yeah, Jado and Gato come in the ring, kind of, you know, arguing with Tiger Tori. Yeah, and gives them, you know, both low blows, takes out uh, got Jado and Gato there. If we had an award for uh, referee moment of the year, I think last year it would have been uh, Red Shoes giving the bird to uh, Bullet Club during the G1. 
this year it'd have to be uh, <laughs> Tiger hitting the low blows on Jado and Gato. Yeah, that that was great. And uh, that takes us to the main event here of the Tiger Hattori retirement event, Tiger Hattori's last match that he's refing. And it was uh, Tetsuya Naito, Shingo, and Sonata defeating Kazuchika Okada, Tomohiro Ishii, and Hiroki Goto. Yeah, I heard uh, that there was some um, miscommunications and some blown spots between uh, Naito and Okada, surprisingly. Yeah, what do you think, Dylan? Yeah, there were actually uh, with, with Naito and Okada. I just think that's a case of, like I said earlier a little bit, uh, these are mid-tour matches. I don't think they brought it really. You'd think they would have given it a little bit more effort with the fact that it is Tiger's last match. Refereeing, you know he's mega respected and everything. You've heard people talk about that if you've heard the English language uh, podcast that New Japan guys have done before. Uh, I don't know what it was when it comes to them. Uh, it just they did some stuff where they went, uh, you know, they they went up to the top rope and Okada ended up slipping and it was like real bad, <laughs> like how how it all played out pretty much. But they kind of worked back. But thankfully, like Ishii and Shingo came in right after that and everything was better. <laughs> Once they got in, like Ishii, Shingo, and Goto, anytime one of those guys were in, the match was real good. The others, not as much, I, I, I would say. Yeah, definitely, you know, they were trying to build up for that never open weight title match with Shingo and Ishii, and like you mentioned. Yeah, their interactions were great. They're always great. But, yeah, I was really disappointed in the uh, Naito and Okada kind of interactions, you know, obviously coming off of Wrestle Kingdom, that awesome match I had in the main event. And, you know, there's definitely a lot of interest in a, a rematch between these two guys. And, you know, usually they always have great chemistry, and they're all great opponents for each other. But, there was a, a yeah, it's a lot of missed spots and like I don't know what's going on with Naito. Like I mean, Okada looked fine the rest of the tour, and like Naito's just kind of been just like in the middle, just kind of like you said, not maybe not trying hard or I don't know what's going on. But there was definitely like a lot of just miscommunication and botched spots, and Naito didn't look good at all here. He's banged up, man. A lot, of, a lot of, a lot of hard years, you know. Wrestling, you know, we talk about his knees, we talk about his back, we talk about all the different issues. So, I mean, it comes. It's not really a surprise. The one thing, though, is that generally speaking, when it's time to turn it on, he still can do that. But yeah, I mean, twenty twenty Naito's not twenty sixteen or you know twenty fifteen Naito, unfortunately. You're right. Yeah, you know, like I said. I if you listen to my other show, you know I'm never going to be waving the flag for the Okada and Naitos of the world. I know they're super popular, but like I said, I think this is something where it's like generational gap probably sounds stupid uh, because it has nothing to do with age, but more so the fact that I watched before they came in. And I think, like you said earlier, Josh, when you see your first guys, like for maybe somebody who was the four pillars might have been their first guys. For a lot of New Japan fans, these were their guys, like Okada and Naito. Like, these are their four pillars, like them and Tanahashi and maybe Nakamura or Shibata, depending on who you ask. But for me, it's like the, Okada's not really my guy and Naito's not really my guy. Uh, like you said, he does have some injuries. You're right about that on Naito. But as champion... The good thing about him is that it doesn't even really matter that much. He's his so his character is so over to the crowd that th this stuff is really minor in the, in the in the long term game. And we'll see if he can turn it up the second half of his title reign because I think the if you look at like two of his three big matches, I, I don't really count this as a big match for him. And I, I clearly he didn't either. <laughs> uh, but if you look at his two out of three matches with Jay and Kenta, they were practically designed 
to like not be a great right like match. Uh, the Okada match, obviously, that had the the emotion and the moment and everything. I wrote ho- a whole article on that match. <laughs> like, man, they, like, it had all kinds of stuff. And like I said, I'm not even that big of a fan of them. But they still got even me, let alone somebody who's, like, a huge fan of them. So it's like a lot of his matches so far haven't been even designed to be that. Uh, and I think I'd like to see him against an opponent that's a true like in-ring guy and like i'd like to see him step up and see what he can do uh you know on that end because i think a lot of his matches are actually designed not to be and i think it's smart because of his injury factor that he has and the fact that he's so over that really he doesn't even have to have you know five star matches or whatever the matches he has makes the crowd just as happy well you know part of it with naito is the fact that Some of it is by design, like you mentioned, you know, and uh, people don't necessarily like to hear this, but part of the thing with Naito is that he's not the Superman of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You know, he's not your Tanahashi or your Okada. He's sort of someone who is vulnerable, and they're showing him as a vulnerable champion. I mean, just look at the build to Wrestle Kingdom entirely. Like, he was the guy who wasn't even supposed to be there because he's suffered defeats and he suffered losses, and, like, he's not kicking out of everybody's finishers. Like, he's avoiding them because that is... We, we, we happen to know that, like, Naito can and has been defeated in the past, and I think that that's part of what garners him so much sympathy and support from the, the crowd and the fans. So, I mean, that's a big part of it. One thing I didn't like there, Dylan, you said that uh, maybe he turned up in the second half of his uh, title reign. That makes me think that you think his uh, title reign is going to be a little bit shorter than than other people think it might be. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. He, he's keeping that title until at least Wrestle Kingdom next year. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I, I'm very confident in that. Mm. Mm. Well, uh, yeah. we'll definitely get to see him have, you know, that in-ring challenge uh, next week for the anniversary show as he takes on Hiromu Takahashi. That's definitely going to be uh, an in-ring challenge for him right there. Yeah, that's one that's been, yeah. uh, you know, everyone's been anticipating that ever since the projections kind of came out and people thought that these two guys would be champions come this time of the year. So uh, big expectations for that match. Yeah, and then after that, we had uh, Tiger, you know, doing the LIJ salute with uh, Shingo, Naito, and um, Sonata here. Yeah, it was great. He couldn't he couldn't reach because he's shorter than them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he had to jump up and uh, <laughs> yeah. kind of do the Mario where Mario would bump the boxes. <laughs> um, then they had the uh, the closing ceremony for Tiger. And, you know, you had the, the chaos team and the home team coming out there and taking pictures with him. They had all the referees coming out and... Uh, giving him autographed shirt and saluting him. You had uh, Harold May coming out, uh, New Japan officials. Um, you had the great Kabuki arriving, Hiroshi Hase. Kabuki! <laughs> <laughs> um, great Muta, uh, Ricky Choshu, all these legends. You had a video message. Hiroshi Hase came out. Yeah. It was you, awesome. You had a video message from Inoki and Tenryu. Um, then Tiger gave a little post-match uh, speech there, and then they kind of do the little salute there where they all – throw them up in the air. They had the, the 10 bell salute. So it was a kind of a great way to wrap up um, Tiger's, you know, referee career here. And we did have a question from Reddit user Cubist says, uh, did you cry during the Tiger Hattori retirement? I'll, I'll throw that one to Dylan. <laughs> no, I, I didn't cry. I have to say, but, um, it was cool, though, especially seeing all those legends come out. I wonder what's up, because the one that I really took note of most is Inoki uh, sending in a message, because he did that for Liger, too. 
And for a long time, he was basically like persona non grata in, in New Japan. Nobody would, you know, he was a ghost. Nobody would even want to talk about him. Tanahashi in his book was like, I took down his picture in the dojo. <laughs> <laughs> It was like that. Inoki was not the most popular guy by the time he left, and uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. But not, nevertheless, he's doing these video messages now for the first time in over ten years. So I, I don't know if that means anything or not. But you know, he's getting older. Uh, IGF's not even really a thing anymore. So yeah, who really cares? Like Inoki in New Japan via video message. He hasn't. It's not like he came out, but it was cool seeing all those other guys come out, like Hase and. Uh, you know, Ricky Choshu and so on and so forth. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, I think part of what's going on there is, you know, regardless of some of the uh, troubled past and some of the different controversies and things of that nature when it comes to Inoki, and it's definitely a checkered past, uh, there is no denying that the history of New Japan is completely intertwined with him. I mean, he's the founder. He was the biggest star for, you know, two decades. And, I mean, there's no getting around that. We can kind of ignore it, you know, and they've done that. But it is to a point now where it's not like Inoki is a competitive, um, you know, persona or anything like that. He's not, you know, leading any sort of, like, uh, wrestling promotions at this current time. So I think that there probably has been a, a... slight softening but the fact that he's not there does tell you something it's not like they're uh you know bringing out the flowers and the giant trophies and honoring him you know but the fact that they allow him to send in a a video request or you know a video message in these special moments with people that he has history with like you know liger like tiger hattori it makes all the sense in the world i also think part of it is because of his failing health has a lot to do with uh, the fact that he's not making very many public appearances this day, you know, at this time. So he's, he's, even if they did want him to be there, I don't think he'd even be able to, but um, I think it's a good, it's a nice touch, you know, just to kind of allow that. Yeah. I like to, you know, kind of put all the politics and feelings aside and just kind of, you know, do what's right for the moment. You know, when other promotions, they might keep them blackballed and kind of erase them from history and not bring them back for whatever reason. So I thought it was cool that, you know, they had Anoki sending these video messages and the crowd popped when they, you know, see his image on the, on the screen there. So yeah, it was really cool to have Anoki represented here. I definitely didn't cry when this happened, but I would say of this night, it was a, it was a solid night. It was a good show. Nothing. There was no matches that I would say you've got to go out of your way to watch, but I would say if you didn't see the uh, retirement ceremony for Tiger Tori, it's definitely worth uh, going out of your way to at least catch that. Um, you know, it was definitely very, uh, you know, guys were crying. Tiger was crying. Ishii was crying. Ricky Choshu was <laughs> Tanahashi. crying. Tana- <laughs> Tanahashi is like Ric Flair these days. He <laughs> cries over everything. And, um, you know, for, for like my my whole experience with, with Tiger is like, you know, for, you know, at least all throughout the 90s and the early 2000s, like anytime there was a major title match on a, ma- on a big show, it, Tiger Hattori was going to be the guy that you saw, you know, referenced refereeing those matches so uh it is sad to kind of see him uh you know move on but he has a happy life you know he lives in new york and um you know i'm sure he'll probably be somewhat affiliated with new japan in the future and uh all the contributions he's made it's uh you know it's sad to see him go but it's it was a happy moment for sure definitely yeah i didn't cry either but yeah i like, I like the ceremony overall fine chill like josh said nothing really you need to go out of your way to watch match wise but definitely check out the uh, the tiger ceremony 
So let's go to night two for Road. New <laughs> Japan Road. <laughs> yes, uh, night one of New Japan Road on February 20th here. Kick things off with Yota Suji defeating Gabriel Kidd. What'd you guys think? Go ahead, Dylan. I, I thought it was, you know, uh, pretty much what I thought it would be about, you know, six, seven minutes of action here when it comes to these young lion matches. I wonder, because uh, I know you guys were talking last weekend, uh, Josh, you said you really loved Uemura. Uh, I wonder if they don't see a lot in Suji uh, as well, because I think he's the thing about him is, is that he's got a little bit more size than Uemura, but. Now you see Oromura started to take his place. For a while, Suji was in the second matches on the card, but now we're seeing, just like on this show, Oromura was taking the second matches uh, now, and Suji's, Suji's working with Kid. Uh, Kid, I don't have a, much of a read on. He's like this young guy. Uh, you know, just green wrestler. It's hard to really make a judgment on anybody, but it was a decent match. You know, like I said, really nothing special about it in terms of a young line match, but I do think Suji's size helps him stand out a little bit more. Uh, when it comes to that, that someone like Kid, who's still very new and green. Yeah, it was, you know, fine standard kind of young lion match here. Uh, Dylan, I feel the same exact way on Gabriel Kid. Um, you know, he hasn't, he's, he hasn't done anything bad, but at the same time, he hasn't done anything to really kind of stand out or make me notice him. I know that he's had to, you know, completely kind of abandon, you know, his, you know, pretty much his eight year kind of background wrestling on the UK indie scenes to, learn the Shibata style and, you know, of the LA dojo and kind of wrestle as a young lion. So I don't know, you know, how restricted he is on what he can and can't do, but he's doing the basics and he's doing them good, but nothing to really make me say, keep your eyes on him. Well, I didn't get a chance to catch this, but you know, the fact that Yoda Suji, we, we had some speculation about who would go over here. So obviously Suji picked up the, the big win and uh, he made a, uh, Gabriel could tap out with the Boston Crab. My question is, not only is that interesting, but with the match structure, did they make it, did they give Gabriel Kidd a lot of, uh, you know, hope spots or near fall attempts or was it, was he more positioned like some of those, the way you would see like a, a young lion who's lower on the stature where like they're not really getting that many hope spots. I mean, what was, what was the structure? Because that tells us a lot about how they see him at this point. Uh, for me, I feel like he, he got in a decent amount of offense, but clearly, you know, the focus was on Suji and kind of like being, you know, kind of the quote unquote, like head of the class right now of this current crop of, you know, young lions from the New Japan Dojo. It seems like, you know, they're definitely trying to get Suji over here. Yeah, I mean, he got like, I think he got one pin attempt on, a, he just did a very basic slam. Uh, after a drop kick, and he had uh, a half crab on that they kind of teased a little, but Suji never felt like he was in danger of uh, right. the match. I thought Suji definitely was the clear uh, one of the two, and as he should be, he's been around much longer. So in the New Japan system, so so the next match we had a. Uh... The team of Suzuki Goon, Minoru Suzuki, Taichi, El Desperado, and Kanemaru picking up a big win over the team of Goto, Yoshihashi, Will Ospreay, and Yuya Yamura. And the big news uh, coming out of this match was Yuya Yamura having a death wish uh, attacking uh, Minoru Suzuki. Yeah, Yamura lost his freaking mind here. Uh, Rush Suzuki at the bell, and those guys were brawling. Uh, all throughout this match, and uh, Yamura was really taking it to Suzuki there at the beginning, and they were brawling all backstage, brawling in the crowd, and, um, you know, that just put a big target on uh, Yamura's back for uh, Suzuki. 
the thing too is that like the crowd was really into that uh, as well. Suzuki gave just enough to like to get the crowd into it. Like I said, and make it feel like a crazy thing is going to happen. Uh, because after that happened, pretty much everyone started brawling. Uh, and like uh, basically, uh, Yoshiashi came in, hit a Hurricane Rana on Desperado, and then everybody hit the ring on the outside and started brawling with each other. And Suzuki targeted Uemura right away, and it was a great moment because it was like, okay, it's payback time <laughs> now mm-hmm. for, for the earlier run, you know, when he ran at him. So I really like this. Uh, this little young line feud and why not? I don't know why they don't do this kind of stuff more. Actually. That's something I, I really wish we saw more of nowadays because they don't do it nearly at all now. And back when I started not to sound like a, you know, some old time <laughs> back in my day, yeah, back in the, the good old days, <laughs> but no, like, you know, about 10 years ago or whatever, they did this all the time where they would have a guy on the roster, a veteran member, just beat the crap out of a young lion and have him play a, a huge underdog. Now it's almost always either, you know, like an, a, a, a young lion versus young lion match or a six man tag. It's never really singles matches with the veteran versus the young guy. And hopefully we can get something like that out of these two. Cause I think if they, if he, they do stuff like this again, then we're going to have an awesome match. I thought this whole match actually was uh, actually good. I thought everybody actually looked pretty good in this match. Well, it's a good change of pace. I did see the post-match uh, interview that Yu Yimura cut, and uh, <laughs> he was calling out uh, Suzuki. He's like, you call yourself the king of pro wrestling. How are you the king? You don't even have anything. What <laughs> titles do you have? <laughs> so I think they might uh, continue with uh, Yu Yimura having a chip on his shoulder when it comes to uh, Minoru Suzuki. Yeah, and we had a, a question here from Twitter follower at MadNutter0102. This is probably the most obvious one. Do you think Imura eventually joins Suzuki-gun? I mean, I think no. <laughs> like, uh, just because history has showed us. They did something somewhat similar in a different way with Naito and Yohei Komatsu before he left, where they ran an angle where Naito was actually actively recruiting him. Yeah, here usually they just don't have the young lions join factions. So right. I, I just say, right. like, no, no, it's, it's nothing personal against you, Amura. It's just I think if that were to happen, it wouldn't be until after his excursion. Right, and the, and the thing with young lions at this stage, it's so hard to kind of predict or tell what's going to happen because they have to go on excursion first, and then we got to see what happens whenever they come back from excursion. I mean, we're still waiting on Oka and um um. Kawato. Yeah, Kawato. Blank, I don't think they're yet. Kawato. We're still waiting on those guys to come back and see eventually where they fit in. And, you know, there's so many young lines. You're like, if they come back. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there's so many young lines where you kind of have hopes for them. And, you know, Kitamura, it's like, yeah, this guy is going to be great. He's going to be doing this. And then he's off the scene. And so, like, it's really hard to kind of predict what's going to happen until they actually come back from excursion. I hope Yagi comes back. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, me, me too, Josh. <laughs> uh, yeah, like you just never know what they're even gonna like make him do. Like nobody imagined. Again, like going back a ways when Evil was a young lion. When I first started watching, he was like the, the top prospect of New Japan. Like Watanabe, the main young lion. I remember they had a commercial where Tanahashi was advertising some kind of uh, sports drink for New Japan, and he was in it. Watanabe was in it, and you know, just normal young lion guy. Then he comes back as evil, like a, a Halloween store 
uh, you know, uh, hobbyist, I would, I would say, is, is basically his gimmick here. So who knows what could happen with these young guys. Yeah. Like, Umimura, when he comes back, could be something completely different that we would have to have no idea about. Right. Yeah. And, like, and just like recently, like Jay White, too, when he came back. I mean, Jay was, you know, high-flying, flippy-doo, you know, indie wrestler doing Ring of Honor stuff. And then he comes back and he's, you know, knife pervert. Yeah, and you know, this is also uh, assuming that two to three years from now, there's even going to be a Suzuki Goon. I mean, I'm sure there's yeah. some people that are lamenting the idea that there wouldn't be, but I mean, we get questions all the time. What about Saber Goon? What about Taichi Goon? Not saying that that's going to happen, but like, who knows? You know, there was rumors just this year that like, you know, if those rumors panned out to have been true, like Suzuki wouldn't have even been here at this point in time in the year. So he's getting up there in age. So I mean, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but that's a great question. Um, the next match was uh, the team of Okada, Yano, and Cabana taking on GBH and Toa Hanare. Obviously, the Chaos team picking up the big win here. Yeah, once again, you know, they're trying to heat up Yano and Cabana here, get them ready for possibly um, a tag team title run down the future, or, you know, getting them ready for a New Japan Cup. Both of these guys were in that 32 man field last year, so heating those guys up. I think they're heating them up for uh, World Tag League. <laughs> <laughs> Just they're getting a really early start. Yeah. The the funny thing is they could go undefeated as a team until <laughs> world, and it would it wouldn't matter at all. <laughs> like they they have their role on their their cards here, and they're gonna p- portray that role. The only thing I don't want is that this is leading to something bigger for Cabana. Uh, you know, <laughs> like I said, I'm not a big fan of these matches uh, or their style in general, but especially when they do it because it's so repetitive. Uh, but they, they, the crowd's into them. You have to give them gra- that much. And if you want to have them be in the New Japan Cup, there's nothing wrong with that, especially if they keep up the field of 32 that they did last year. So well, if you, it, I didn't like this match much, but, you know, it is what it is. You say there's nothing wrong with it, but if you're Davy Boy Smith Jr., you have a big problem with it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's in a better place now for for, for, for his uh, his standards of wrestling uh, pretty much on there. Maybe not in terms of money, but in, in terms of the standards of wrestling, yes. But I, I agree with Davey Boy. I, I, I don't, I, I'm with him on this one. I'm not a huge fan of these guys. But like I said, the crowd does it, so who cares what I think, really? Like, the crowd loves them, and, you know, it was what it was. Hey, on this show, Yano Slander will not be tolerated. (laughs) (laughs) I did the wrong person. (laughs) You should have thought about that. (laughs) But, you know, like I said, he's over to the crowd. There's no question about that, but. And uh, one thing I, I want to touch on here in this match, we we mentioned this last week. We said that this would kind of would have been a good opportunity for Toa Hanare to kind of get in there with Okada and do much. And I was kind of disappointed that there wasn't really much in their interactions. I don't feel like Toa Hanare really took advantage of ring time with Okada. What do you think about that? I think Okada didn't care at all about this match. Yeah, <laughs> even if he wanted to. Like there wasn't going to be anything like that. Uh, like coming from this, we, to me, Okada's was checked out on these uh, last few matches. But you know, Hanari, it is what it is with him. I really feel like he's somebody that I speculated on at the start of the year. If he's somebody that I would, if I were in his shoes, I would be looking at going somewhere else besides New Japan if they don't have anything for him because he's stuck in this pattern for like for forever at this point. And he, I feel like he's got so much more to offer than these spots they give him. But 
Is yeah, it, here there was nothing special about his run in this match at all. But uh, you know, it was what was what was he going to do against these opponents? I, I feel like right. it's, it's interesting you say that because that's definitely always a an option, especially when you have a non Japanese wrestler. Um, you know, that's kind of seen somewhat in a different light as opposed to like say a uh, you know a Japanese dojo talent. But uh, at the same time, I mean, there is the fact that he came through the dojo, he came through that system, and you hope eventually they do pay that sort of thing off. I mean you know, that there's a long-term plan for him, but, uh, you know, because I don't know if that would be more beneficial um, long-term or if that'd be more detrimental to, to have been seen as someone who was, uh, you know, disloyal and went and worked, you know, uh, you know, a big Japan or a NOAA or all Japan, something like that, you know? So who, who who's to say? Right. Oh, I don't think he could go to any of those companies. He should go to America to, to wrestle. Like, I, I feel like, I just don't think that... New Japan's going to... I feel like if this is his lot in life, he may be happy with it. That's cool. But if I were him, like, and I was feeling myself and, like, seeing how good he is and can be, I I feel like you have to bet on yourself at some point. Yeah. I don't know if he feels... Like I said, everybody feels differently about stuff. Like I said, some people don't even care about that stuff. Uh, they just, they're just happy to be in New Japan, a big company. He's probably getting a good living in Japan, uh, a foreign country to him. That's probably pretty cool. So we just don't know his mindset, really, to even speculate on that. But in terms of talent-wise, I just don't think he's ever going to be able to move up like, like in this company. There's so many guys he would have to jump ahead of, first of all, I, no matter how good he is, that he came after pretty much. Well, there's definitely opportunities and, over yeah. here, but I just wonder, you know, with with him being so inundated with like the Perezu style, if he can even be successful, you know, in the state side or I don't know, maybe like maybe going to, to the UK to be better for him. I don't know, it, like because I just gotta imagine like with the way that his run has gone, he wouldn't be coming into the states with a lot of buzz or a lot of notoriety, and he'd probably have to retool his entire. Uh, you know, gimmick to try to have some sort of success over here. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what ends up happening with him long term. What do you think his upside is in New Japan? I think the upside is the fact that he's been there for quite a while. He's a talented guy, and he can, he definitely fits the mold of a style of wrestler that we think is, you know, very like um, what what's the word I'm looking for? You know, that, that whole Haas sort of, like, strong style fighting thing, like, he definitely fits that mold, and there's a lot of guys above him who fit that mold, but they're not long for, for their careers. You know, Goto's only going to be around so much longer. Ishii's only going to be around so much longer. I, I feel like there is an opportunity for him to kind of step into that mold. I don't see him bypassing some of the, the better, like, you know, wrestlers who can do the high flying or who can do the catch stuff but like he there might be a hole that or a gap that opens up here in the next year or two to where he can kind of fulfill that need that they have for having like a hard-hitting hostile wrestler that if you look at the rest of the card i mean aside from suji there's not too many guys coming up aside from like shingo who fit that mold right now yeah, and I totally agree with Josh there. I definitely see him kind of stepping in that, you know, that never title division, that strong style division there and kind of, you know, having these hard-hitting matches, taking a spot of a, a Goto or Ishii or Suzuki, a guy that's going to be kind of the the flag bearer of that never division, almost like a gatekeeper, so to speak, in that never division, you know, kind of like Goto in these last couple of years where Goto's kind of known for 
multiple never runs and kind of being that strong saw guy. I think each or I think uh, Hanare could you know fit that mold perfectly. He also could be someone who they whiff on, and another one bites the dust. We don't, you know, right. I don't know. I, I just think it's going to be tough. Even those guys, uh, I really have a hard time believing in the next two years, Goto and Ishii are going to be uh, put down the card. I uh, look at where Tanahashi is a little older. Right. Suzuki's uh, in his 50s. Now, now it, it still has a decent spot, a little lower than those other guys. But uh, Hinari, if he can get one, if he's good for one title shot, never title shot a year, I think that would be great for him because yeah. he could show what he could do. And I think that's the main thing. He's not really showing what he could do in these matches. Uh, and I feel like it's not his fault, just more so the matches are not designed for him to do that. I think if he got a standout match, versus Shingo on one of these cards, he could really pop off and do something like we could say, whoa, we need to look at this guy. I mean, remember not if you remember a few years ago, uh, a lot of people thought this. And like I said, maybe not only will they whiff on him, maybe he's just not at that at that level, because a lot of people went Tamatanga before like Rose right. of Destiny, before his push, when he was just like young guy Tamatanga. A lot of people thought, oh, man, this guy, he's got a lot of talent. Uh, you know, he's doing great things. He should be somebody. Give him a chance in the G1. And, like, they gave him a big push, and it didn't really work out uh, the way I'm sure anybody would want, would have wanted. So, you know, you never know. Maybe they will take a shot at him, and he just he doesn't have it at that level. And there's a reason why he's been in these positions that he is. But uh, I think he's worth giving a shot to at least. Well, one last thing before we move on. I will say that this past year, it seemed like they were giving him a little bit more you know, when he cut that promo on the previous tour and he mentioned that he was done facing the ju- or the, uh, the young lions and that he was going to take a step up and he was calling out Shingo, that seemed to be a, a step in the right direction. Plus, he's retooled his body, kind of integrated more of that Muay Thai style to what he's doing. And it was like, oh, okay, he's got new gear. He's got, you know, he's a little bit more reinvigorated. But then he got, you know, beat very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. by Shingo and that Multiman. It's like, oh, okay, I guess that's not happening. <laughs> but, um, you, you know, th- that's the great thing about New Japan is, like, you know, if, if we were covering any, you know, if we were covering WWE, for instance, we wouldn't be talking about someone low on the card and, you know, kind of projecting their, uh, you know, progression or even caring about it because we kind of know what that entails. We know what's happening there. But, like, with New Japan, you know, we follow these guys' careers and we see, like, where they start, where they, where they arrive at. And so... You know, whether he ends up being a future IWGP champion or whether he just ends up being a, a, you know, a preliminary utility guy the rest of his career. I mean, you know, the fact that we're even discussing it or invested just shows you how awesome this company is at at building and, you know, creating investment in stars from the bottom to the top. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely agree there. Ton of talent on this roster right, right now that you could do stuff with. All right, so now we move on to the next matchup here. Uh, another uh, third-generation dad match. We had Minobu Nakanishi, Hiroshi Tenzon, Satoshi Kojima, and Yuji Nagata and Tiger Mask joining them this time to defeat the team of Tetsuya Naito, Evil, Sonata, Hiromu Takahashi, and Bushi. That's right. The third-gen dads, dads defeated LIJ. My man, Satoshi Kojima, oh <laughs> hit that Koji cutter, that big lariat, and got the pinfall, pinned evil. That's right. He pinned evil and got the big win here for the third generation dads. Well, you know, I, I, I hope we're not working ourselves into a shoot, but like all year we keep talking about how we want to see Kojima get one last G1 run, just like, you know, Tenzan and Nagata did a few years ago. And like we keep talking about it. There's no actual indications this is happening, but like 
he's picking up wins, and I'm like, oh, they could they could do it. Maybe I don't know if it's really gonna happen, but I'm like, this they could do it because I mean, him picking up a win over Evil is kind of a big deal. But uh, man, do you believe in miracles? This uh, this you know third generation dad team, they two and zero. Oh. Yeah, you had uh, you know, uh, Nakanishi hitting Hercules cutter and that plancha. Oh my gosh, I died when he hit the plancha. He barely hit. It. He hit the freaking apron first. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't the most graceful uh, plancha. But I mean, you, what, what did you? What would you expect? It shouldn't be the most graceful. It has. It has to be a Nakanishi plancha. Uh, I feel like you know for it to be effective. But man, the only thing I can think about this match is Evil's such a geek. Right? <laughs> I, was, I was so I was so happy when this happened when uh, Evil took the fall. And I, I like Evil as a wrestler. Uh, this gimmick has got to go. I, I've said this many times on, on my show. Uh, like this gimmick totally sucks, and he's everybody talks about Sonata. Like they're somehow that's become the storyline that Sonata is the weak link of Lij. But Evil has gone even longer without winning without winning a singles match uh, before Sonata. So somehow that that goes without mentioning. But you know whatever. <laughs> like Evil loses. I was very happy to see Kojima win. I completely agree with you two about Kojima getting the G1 last big run. The sad part is he, he might end up going like winless uh, like Nagata and Tenzan did. And if you remember those runs, the crowd was so into those guys. I always thought that was a big drop ball uh, that they, they could have done a lot with in terms of adding drama. But it was cool, on the other hand, just to see him go out, put, pass the torch along to this new uh, generation. And Kojima is a great wrestler. I think Nagata still has a lot to offer as well. If you look at both of those guys, those dudes are just still awesome. They always were awesome, and they still are. So uh, get Kojima into the G1, please. Please, Gato, I'm begging you. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And, you know, we've got New Japan Cup, New Japan Cup coming up, so... Definitely see you know him and Nagata in that tournament as well. I I could be wrong here, but I think I remember Tenzon beating Ishii in the G one. Am I wrong about that? That might have happened. I think they had. I'll have to go to. I'll have to look it up. But I feel like he had like they had this banger of a match, and he got the one like consolation win over Ishii. I'd have to look, but I I, I feel like I remember that happening. I think he got a couple of wins in his tournament. Uh, Nagata lost all of them, but I think Tenzai got like two or three wins uh, by the end. Yes, I'll, I'll I'll take a look real quick. Th- that that might have been one of them. Uh, maybe it was Tanahashi. I feel like I know that one year he had an amazing match with Goto. Like this is probably five years ago now, but his match with Goto, I think 2015 G1 was awesome. Like like way unexpected great match from Tenzan. But uh, Koji was the one that you have to watch in, in 2020 now that he's got the run. But hey, even last year, uh, Nagata had a great match with Ishii in the New Japan Cup. So even if they yeah, just have yes. that one match, they, like they they could have a match that really shows out. Uh, just like I kind of said with Hinari, it's like hey. I mean, their career, they are where they are at this point, but still, they can say, hey, look at us. We can still contribute. We can still go if, the, if our number is called. Yes, Tenzan ended that 2016 G1 with four points, picking up two wins, one over Tamatanga and one over Tomohiro Ishii. And I remember yeah. it because that Ishii match is a free – it's like the last great Tenzan match. It's awesome. Hmm. 
that's unsurprising <laughs> considering it's Ishii in, in the match of man. My man is just a machine. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in the main event. Uh, but Kojima winning made me very happy. And I love that Evil <laughs> took the loss. I, I feel bad for him in some ways because it's like he had a ton of potential, even in this gimmick at one point. But now it's like, uh, like uh, Bushi, you took the fall last night. Throw evil, throw evil in there. Yeah, if, <laughs> whatever. If the Gen Dads were gonna win, I thought for sure. You know, well, obviously, you know, Bushi could take the pin. You know, like you mentioned, you see Bushi, you think pin eater, but yeah, when he pinned Evil, man, I was so surprised. I immediately jumped in the social suplex group thread and was just <laughs> celebrating uh, Kojima's big win. Well, you know, this company, yeah. everything means something, and I mean, Evil picking up a loss to Kojima does mean something. What that means. We can only speculate on, but there's a reason that he ate the pinfall and not the junior, you know, Bushi. So um, it remains to be seen. But, you know, Dylan, you bring up a good point. I mean, he has gone without a win for in a singles match for a while. So, you know, I don't know. Like, maybe there's implications for the story. Maybe there's implications in the New Japan Cup. We'll have to we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, they could be a first round opponents in New Japan Cup. Evil and Sonata or Evil and Kojima? Evil and Kojima. Oh, yeah, that, that would be good. Well, let's talk about this uh, semi-main event here. Oh, no, it's not the semi-main event. Wow, we still got a lot to go, but let's get through it quickly. <laughs> so the next match was uh, Tanahashi and Ibushi teaming with uh, Finjuice to take on the uh, Bullet Club team of G.O.D., Jay White, and Bad Luck Fale. So, yeah, so the uh, Bullet Club team got the win here over uh, Golden Aces and Finjuice when they uh, got the pin on got the pin on Juice. Yeah, Juice Robinson because Tama hit Juice with the belt, and got the pin off of that. So, obviously trying to, you know, plant the seed in your head that, you know, potentially the Golden Aces would lose to they G.O.D. They <laughs> on the following <laughs> night. And also, you know, getting that cheating against Finjuice again. They're kind of telling that story that G.O.D. has to keep cheating to beat Finjuice, and so kind of on the side, building that rivalry also. Post-match, G.O.D. lay out Golden Aces and, uh, you know, leave them laying – you know, the bad guys end up standing tall, so, you know, makes you think that, you know, these guys are dominant. They're going to pick up the win in their title defense over, uh, you know, the top two of the top stars in New Japan Pro Wrestling. What do you think here, Dylan? Just remember this. Because I came on this show, I watched four of these Bullet Club matches. <laughs> like I said, uh, that's something I would never want to do. Uh, <laughs> But for you guys, I did it. So I feel like I represented I represented hard here. Uh, that, that's all I got for this match. I'm, I'm very glad I won't see any more of these Bullet Club matches for a while. I think what Dylan say, is saying is he wants us to CTC. Cut the check. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, man. But, yeah, I appreciate you, uh, you know, going out of your norm here and, you know, you know, suffering through these uh, Bullet Club matches with us. And we will be talking. Not- oh, go ahead. Uh, they're, they're not my favorite. <laughs> Let's put it there. Right? Well, well, if, uh, you know, um, the ratings and the uh, different uh, publications that I've checked out are any indication you are not alone because I've been hearing nothing but bad things about these Bull Club matches. Um, but we'll be talking about uh, G.O.D. and the Golden Aces here shortly. Um, our semi-main event was the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions Show and Yo of Rapongi 3K. Defending the titles against Rocky Romero and Ryazuki Taguchi, the mega coaches. Yeah, I thought uh, overall this was a really good matchup here. Um, 
once again, I, this has kind of been my theme this year so far on some of these semi-main and mains. I, I felt like this match went a little bit too long. Yep. Um, I felt like they could have cut, you know, five or ten minutes off and still accomplished what they wanted to do here. I felt like the beginning of the match was a little bit slow, and it took a while for it to pick up. But then once it picked up, they kind of hit on all cylinders and had some great chemistry, and we saw some kind of callbacks to the Super Junior Tag League match that they had last year, and uh, overall being a really good match. I especially liked the uh, the callback to the night previously where the mega coaches had attacked them and put them in uh, their uh, submission holds, and then they tried to do the same thing on this night, but Rapongi 3K had scouted those moves. They, they remembered what happened to them, and they were able to reverse those into submissions of their own, which was a really nice callback. Mm-hmm. Plus, we had big... Big match to Gucci hitting topes. <laughs> That's you always know he's uh, actually motivated when he decides to you know go flying to the outside and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Big match Gucci was in the house right now. Um, I really like this match too. I, I think the problem was uh, the first part of the match and the last part of the match were really good. Some of the middle part kind of like there was a part where they all had like they were trading submissions and that was cool but then they just had to reset and they did so they were kind of like stalling for time it felt like uh, early on or not early on but more like in the middle of the match and it ended up being a, a long match too it wasn't just uh, anything like that i think if they had toned it down in the middle some we would have had something really great but still this was a really strong match i also liked that Taguchi. uh he was using him and R- rocky were using some like of his own tag team moves with when he was teaming with devit I know Apollo 55. Yes. They did the moves like that in the match. They did their wheelbarrow uh, into the code breaker. Uh, that used to be a, a Devin and Taguchi move. Uh, to, you mentioned the tope that Taguchi did. So they did some good stuff in this match. I thought there were some interesting callbacks, and it was a well-worked match. As you would expect with these guys, Taguchi and Rocky are really smart uh, veteran workers. Uh, I think Sho is a fantastic uh, wrestler. And Yo is a really good in this tag team role right now. I thought they all worked well together. It was a really good match, I would say. Uh, definitely the best match to this point between the two shows. Right, yeah, they picked up the win with that strong X combo there, that uh, package power driver double stomp combo. Yeah, some things here. Um, the match was really good. I would still rate the match that they had during the uh, Junior Tag League just slightly above this one, but that's not to say this wasn't still great. Um you know, for a while now, when it comes to Rapongi 3K and the different various feuds they've had for the titles, whether it was, you know, last year against LIJ or, you know, um, you know, Desperado and Kanemaru, we got a lot of, like, I don't know how to describe it, story-based, off like, a lot of uh, foreign objects, spitting of the mist, Satori surprises, just you know injuries a lot of southern style stuff which is fine and it's good but it's been a while that we've seen a junior tag match that really was you know highly athletic and full of big spots and that sort of thing which is kind of what the the division was built on and so this was kind of a throwback to that which was nice to kind of see here um i agree with you jeremy i think the match went a little bit long one thing that surprised me at the end um and some people might have liked this, but I don't know if I'm a big fan of it. Um, I thought the finishing sequence was really great and had some great near falls. But the one near fall that I was questionable about was Rocky Romero kicking out of the shock arrow. Um, because I thought that they probably should have put that move over a little bit stronger. Well, it, it was it was a straight leg shock arrow. It wasn't the package 
shock arrow, which they I get it, but I still I like the straight leg shock arrow. <laughs> I know, but to them that that's a secondary, and we've been seeing that that people kick out of when he does the the straight legged shock arrow. That's when, true. When he does a package, that that's the finish. It just it looks so devastating. You think that guy should get put away with it? I guess that that that's the whole point, which is fine. But uh, even still, they they got me on that one. I I bit. I thought it was over, but. Uh, Ultimately, this match was really, really good. There was a little bit of sloppiness, but ultimately a really solid, energetic, you know, junior-style tag match, which uh, I was glad to see. Where are we on uh, snowflakes here, boys? Four. I say about three and three quarters. Uh, <laughs> I'm also at four. I, I'm the one who goes a quarter less, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> And then that takes us to the uh, main event but of the evening. Before we move on, so there was um, some speculation here, you know, whether or not this would be the first of multiple title defenses for Rapunga 3K. Jeremy, you're in the camp where you think that this is the start of a prolonged title reign for Rapunga 3K. Are you still feeling that way, or you think that, uh, you know, because, I mean, May's just around the corner, so there won't be any title defense around there. You think they're going to hold these titles for a, a while longer, or you think... Uh, you know, there's a chance they could drop them in the near future. I, I, I'm still kind of on the, the train of thought that they're going to hold belts for a little bit uh, longer. You know, we got the anniversary show. I mean, they could potentially defend them at the anniversary show. Then we got New Japan Cup. They're probably not going to be a New Japan Cup. That's going to be all of March. And you got Secure Genesis. They might defend the belts there. Um, that, that leads you into April. I'm not sure. Dontaku? Yeah, we got Dontaku, the Lions Break show in here at Tampa. I think they'll get through April, and then that'll bring you to Best of the Super Juniors, where they'll be in singles um, going through that month of May and beginning of June. So I think at least Dominion, they'll make it to Dominion with those tag titles. Well, I think with Rapungi 3K, they've been teaming together, what, two, three years now? About that length? Well, yeah, and they start teaming like 2017, 2016. Something like that. So, I mean, the... Um, you know, the prevailing thought and the question always is, when are these guys going to split? You know, it, it, it's a big story that people are always kind of following. My thinking is, for the first time ever, we're going to see, and I'm calling it now, in the best Super Juniors, Sho and Yo will be in the same block. Mm. And we will get the first one, well, not the first, but since they've been teaming together as Rapongi 3K, the first singles match between these two guys. If if you remember prior to their excursion, these two guys had an extensive, lengthy young lion singles feud that went on and on. It was the feud that would never end. So they're they're no strangers to uh, facing one another. But I think that I don't think that they're going to break up because of facing each other at um, Super Juniors. But I could see it being similar to what we saw, like, with, say, the Cruiserweight Classic when uh, Gargano and Ciampa, best friends, you know, had a face-off. And that was sort of, like, the catalyst and the first, like, little hint that we saw of a potential breakup. I think that we're getting that this year with these guys. What do you think, Dylan? Well, I think that I hope that uh, Show and Yo's matches don't become like Gargano and Ciampa's. You don't want the melodrama? <laughs> No, no, we don't need any of that. <laughs> like I said, uh, in any New Japan matches, and I, and I have my, you know, I have my uh, favorites or whatever on every style, but that's just not something I can handle really well <laughs> when it comes to New Japan uh, Gargano esque match. But Shonyo, they're a really good team. It's just the problem is it has nothing to do with them as a team or anything they've done. The division is yeah. so like you know, like, non. 
Yeah, yeah. Like it's a non-entity really in New Japan in terms of the depth of the division, as you mentioned, and just the care that the booking places them in them a lot. I could easily see them dropping the titles right away, like you know, because it's happened so many times before. Right. Or they could, they could hold it until, like you said, Jeremy, uh, until Dominion. But I think even if that were to happen, the division still won't improve any like right. based on that. The only thing I can see is I actually like your idea, uh, Josh, of having them face in the tournament. I think that would be a great hook for that tournament that seems to need it. We don't know who's going to be coming in or not. But I think that would be a great hook for the tournament, somewhat similar to Sho and Shingo last year, if you remember uh, their feud. So they could, in theory, defend the title and face off again. Nice. Well, let's talk about this main yeah. event, the match that's on everybody's, uh, you know, everybody was geared up for this one. The never open weight championship match as Shingo defends his title for the first time against big Tomohiro Ishii. Yeah, this main event was excellent. I absolutely loved it. I was on the edge of the couch here at the Strong Style Dojo, just, uh, just marking out over the, the chops, the forearms, the lariats, the, the back suplexes, you know, Ishii kicking out at one after a pumping bomber, you know, the made in Japan, just all these great spots. The, the Death Valley driver on the apron, the hardest part of the ring, guys. I mean, this match was just awesome. Loved it. Yeah, I mean, I I really, really, really enjoyed this match. Um, you know, I will say this, though. Uh, you mentioned that the previous match was a little bit too long. I thought that this match went a little bit too long. Um, I, I mean, I don't want to, I'm not going to stand that too firmly because, you know, any ring time we get between Ishii and uh, Shingo is going to be gold. But, um, you know, at 27 minutes, they already did about 27 minutes in the G1. I, I didn't think they needed to go quite that long, especially on a Cork and Hall show. But, I mean, I loved the match, the hard-hitting nature of it. These guys were just brutalizing each other. You mentioned some of the crazy high spots. Uh, a lot of the kickouts. I loved it when um, Ishii kicked out of the Maiden Japan at 2, and then he got hit with the pumping bomber, and he kicked out at one, off, like, right off that, and I was like, oh, okay, let's go. <laughs> uh, there were so many moments where I just was popping out of my seat. That being said, um, I was a little bit less on this match than their G1 match, uh, but, you know, those are really, I mean, that was our fight of the year uh, for, for 2019 in our awards uh, polls, so, I mean, it, it, that's a really high goal to hit. They still killed it. Uh, I've seen a lot of, like, Four, anywhere from four and a half to like four and three quarters. Some people even giving it five. I think I'd go on the low end of a four and a half if I had to say it that way. Um, but this match still just really, really, really delivered. What I liked about it was how dominant Shingo looked. Even though Ishii was there every step of the way, like Shingo looked like a monster in this match. And I'm like, <laughs> like who in this division is going to beat this guy? Because he looks so freaking, he's a killer, man. Yeah. Oh, man, this match was something else. I, I always call these matches with Shingo, Ishii, Goto. I think these are my guys in, in New Japan. Uh, like, I was telling you, they're soul food matches. Like, you know, no, even when they're bad, like the worst version of them, right. they're still great, you know, uh, pretty much. And, like, this wasn't their greatest match or anything. But even the bad, like the quote-unquote bad version was still, like, a great match when you break it down like that. Uh I agree with you, though, that this was a little long. Uh, they just didn't have enough to fill this much time without getting a bit repetitive, and there just wasn't as much of a sense of urgency 
and compared to the Goto and Shingo match, I would say uh, earlier in the month, I actually liked that a little bit better than this. And I was I surprised because I was, so, I was so hyped for this match. Uh, it, it was a really good match. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to criticize it. Uh, I would definitely consider it a four out of five on the fat back scale of matches <laughs> right now. Yeah, I mean, I just, um, I think it really tells you a lot. If you look at the Never Division, you look at the, you know, two guys that kind of embody that style of wrestling and who have been, you know, the most prominent champions over the last, you know, five, six years. It's Shingo and, and uh, or I'm sorry, it's Ishii and Goto. And for, for Shingo to come in and have beaten both of these guys clean back to back, that really makes a statement and tells you where he is in the pecking order when it comes to the Never Division. And um, it's very, very, very exciting because those guys are always in the mix. So, I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if down the line we see rematches uh, between Shingo and those guys. But they've got to kind of build themselves back up because he beat both of them very cleanly. And now the slate is kind of clear for other future challengers to kind of uh, take on Shingo. But this match was, I mean... What this was like a, a Tuesday, a Wednesday at Corkin. I mean, you can't ask for much better, you know. Yeah, for I, that ticket. Yeah, you know, this is the one. You know, I've kind of been harping on like some of the the lengths of main events and semi mains this year so far. But for whatever reason, this is one match I didn't feel like it went long at all. I was, you know, attentive, excited for the whole thing. I, I, this match kind of captured me. Um, I, I went four point seven five on it. I know that might be a, a little bit on the high end for some people. I've You're seen. a mark. <laughs> what was that, Dylan? It, this was a great match. So, like I said, you know, I, even if I went a little lower, I don't think it, I could totally see why anybody would think this was like a match of the year style of match. Yeah, I didn't quite think they got to that level, but I mean, here's the thing: Ishii, even though he. I, I talk about Shingo's dominance. This does nothing to really hurt Ishii. He looked so good in defeat. And the post-match with uh, Ishii after he lost the match, and then he continues to attack Shingo, but he's, like, still bumbling all over the place. Right. It almost came off, like, I don't know if you've ever seen this in MMA where someone gets knocked out or choked out, and they don't realize the the fight is over. Right, yeah. That's what it seemed like. It seemed like Ishii didn't even know he lost, and he's still trying to continue the fight, and they have to tell him, like, dude, you lost. Like, it's over. And he's like, nah, run it. Like, (laughs) I I, I want the smoke. Like, I'm with it. It was awesome. It's just a fantastic match, I feel like. A great main event. I like this a little bit better, but still, I wouldn't go as high uh, as you did, Jeremy, on it. But still, a great match and well worth watching for any kind of fan, I feel like. Yeah, definitely. If you're cherry-picking these shows, you definitely want to watch that Ishii Shingo main event. Yeah, those top two matches are were really awesome. I mean, between the, those, the two shows we reviewed, those are the two I would highly recommend. So then that's going to bring us to night two of New Japan Road, Road. <laughs> on uh, <laughs> February 21st here. Kick things off with the team of Tiger Mask and Gabriel Kidd defeating the team of Yota Suji and Yuya Yamura. So, you know, here we kind of mentioned last week of the, the relationship between Tiger Mask and Yamura. Tiger Mask, you know, kind of being the senpai and taking uh, Yamura under his wing here. But kind of on the opposite sides, he's teaming with Gabriel Kidd here. And, uh, you know, Gabriel Kidd gets to pick up a win via Tiger Mask, um, getting the, the arm bar on Yamura. Maybe the reason Yuya Yamura uh, attacked um, 
Suzuki. Suzuki that way is because Tiger Mask is in his ear and he's like, you really want to make a name for yourself, kid? <laughs> Go after Suzuki. <laughs> well, I think, too, on a commentary, they told a great story of Tiger Mask saying that Yamura's not been aggressive enough and kind of need to you know, push himself and push the envelope and get more aggressive. So I think that's probably what kicked off a Suzuki attack and uh, him kind of being more aggressive in this match as well. I think it was a, it was cool to see them have that little extra edge to them, and obviously with Kid in the ring, that's a good place for them to start. Uh, somebody that you could conceivably see them get a win over. Uh, obviously, in this one, Tiger uh, ended up getting the win here, but hey, it was a nice little continuation of the storyline, and hopefully, it, it leads somewhere cool for Uemura. Yeah, definitely. Next match, we had the team of Finjuice and Rapongi 3K taking on. Uh, Suzuki Goon, Minoru Suzuki, Taichi, El Desperado, and Kanemaru. Uh, the the um, team of Finjuice and uh, Rapungi 3K pick up the win here at 10 minutes and 50 seconds via pinfall. Yeah, they hit that uh, left hand of God sliced bread combo that they've been using to pick up wins here. So once again, we're seeing Finjuice, you know, on the winning side here. They're trying to you know get these guys some momentum, get them you know their names kind of back in that tag title picture after you know, once again they. Uh, G.O.D., you know, cheated to beat them in that multi-man the previous night. So they're trying to get back in contention here. You know, and when we were doing our preview of these shows, I had mentioned that it seemed like with the Suzuki Goon team that they're kind of just treading water night after night. And that seemed to kind of be the case. I mean, you saw them. It wasn't like they were facing a, a unit like, say, Chaos every night or something like that. They 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 wrestled different teams every single night. And... Aside from the little mini story with Yu Yu Moore, there wasn't much really going on with uh, Suzuki Goon on this tour. They were just kind of there filling the space, you know? Yeah. It just seems like this match was uh, a total filler match, <laughs> to, to be honest with you. But if you look at the team, I'm happy that Finley got the pin here. Uh, they did a do a good job of keeping them strong, even though they are a little bit in limbo after leaving the tag titles, uh, losing the tag titles. I was happy to see Finley get the win specifically as he's somebody that I'm a huge backer of. I think he could be something too. Uh, much like Hinari, I think Finlay could really be somebody that steps up on the card if they gave him a shot. Uh, Juice is great too in, in his own way, but I was happy to see that. The Suzuki-Gun team, they, they performed adequately, but this wasn't anything special. It was just a good, solid uh, mid-card match, I would describe it. Yeah, and I was just, I was just happy that uh, Despi and Kanemaru did not pin either show or yo and set up another junior, oh God. <laughs> junior tag title match with those guys. <laughs> so very happy <laughs> Finley got the win there. After that, we saw the chaos <laughs> team of uh, Ishii, Goto, and Yoshihashi taking on the team of Great Bash Heel and Toa Hanare. So yeah, this was in a, uh, another fine kind of multi-man match here. We had Yoshihashi picking up the win here with the butterfly lock on. Your favorite move. Yeah, I freaking hate Yoshihashi's <laughs> butterfly lock. Uh, but honestly, they're they're trying to heat up Yoshihashi for New Japan Cup here. Yeah, it's that time of year. Anytime that there's a, either a New Japan Cup or a G1 coming up, you know, it seems like they like to heat up Yoshihashi. So it, it it's time. It's Yoshihashi time. <laughs> <laughs> I like. I liked him in this match. I thought Yoshiashi did good. I will agree that the butterfly, uh, the butterfly lock is a totally whack finisher, but never mind that. Uh, especially how he does it. It's like really like a, it's almost like a half butterfly lock. Lock how he does it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, it's, it's it, not the best. It's, but, al- uh, it's almost like besides, not a lock at that, all. It's, it's kind of like, you know, um, maybe a DDT without the DDT part. <laughs> part kind of. uh, <laughs> you know, almost. I must still, but besides that, I thought he worked really good. Uh, he had a lot of good stuff with Hanari in this match. I think him and Goto have really good chemistry. And, and I, all three of these guys, I think, have good chemistry together. Uh, Ishii, Goto, and Yoshihashi. We've seen various versions of the, those three teams in the tag league in the previous years. So it's no surprise they have good chemistry. Hinari looked really strong in the match. Uh, Honma looks like he's about, you know, he needs to be retiring next uh, based <laughs> on how he's wrestling. But besides that, still, I thought any time Hinari was in this, regardless of who the other team member was, I thought this was a good match. After that, we had uh, Dylan's favorite match, the Bullet Club eight-man tag special as uh, <laughs> the Bullet Club team of Jay White, Bad Luck Fale, Gato, and Jado take on the New Japan dads, Nakanishi, Tenzan, Kojima, and Nagata. And on this night, Bullet Club was hell-bent to stop the happy retirement tour of Nakanishi. They did everything in their power to cheat and you know, stop this guy's run, and, you know, they even resorted to outside tactics, chair shots, cheating, but it was all for naught. The Miracle Dream Team (laughs) rolls on once again as uh, the New Japan Dads picked up a big win here. Yeah, Nakanishi got um, Gato up in that Argentine backbreaker, got the submission win there, but, you know, this match... uh out of all, bad, the, bad. out of all the New Japan Dad matches this week, this is probably the worst one. And we kind of thought that you know you have uh, Gato, Jado, and Fale on one side, and then obviously the New Japan Dads kind of on you know on the decline. So wasn't expecting um, anything great here. Well, it wasn't the worst match I've ever seen, so <laughs> that, that's a positive. Uh, you know, one of my catchphrases on my regular show is that, he, you know, he banished him to the Shadow Realm. And I feel like the Bullet Club needs to be banished to the Shadow Realm <laughs> for good. <laughs> like, forever. All of them, I would say. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. And the third generation wasn't going to be the ones to do that. But, you know, it accomplished its goal of giving Nakanishi a win and everything else. It, it was a bad match, yes, but... It never was supposed to be good, and Nakanishi got a win. That's that's the most important thing. Right. So then up next, we had Tetsuya Naito, Sonata, and Hiromu Takahashi defeating Kazuchika Okada, Will Ospreay, and Rocky Romero. You know, LIJ versus Chaos. Like you mentioned uh, earlier, uh, Dylan, you know, you talk about, like, soul food matches. I mean... Anytime you get a multi-man match between Chaos and uh, LIJ, it's going to be good. Even when it's not that good, it's still going to be pretty good. And this was this was fine. It was good. Uh, nothing that like really blew you away or anything of that nature. Nothing groundbreaking, but it was fun. It was a good little six-man tag. Well, I, I don't know if I would call this barbecue ribs level of soul food. Uh Maybe more like, like you know, a really good cereal. Maybe pizza. <laughs> like that, that, I don't think it's pizza level. Either. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's consider our expectations a little bit lower. Maybe a good cereal. This was definitely, you know, like a really stale bowl of Count. Oh Chocula, my god! I would say. <laughs> <laughs> it's still Count Chocula, 
but it's stale. So, like, that's kind of how I felt about this match. And the LIGA team just don't care about these matches at all. So, uh, why should I? I really did. Hiromu tried. I was say, Hiromu's say working hard. Yeah, obviously the Hiromu and Osprey interactions were great. But, like, I totally agree with you, Dylan. I was kind of disappointed with this match. I mean, you have Naito, Sonata, Hiromu on one end. Okada, Osprey, and Rocky on the other end. I was expecting this match to maybe, you know, get in that, like, 3.5, 3.75 range. But to me, it's just that, you know, three stars flat, just, you know, average good old match. They kind of hit some of their key signature moves and called it a day. Well, the big story coming out of this post-match, Will and Naito have words uh, kind of teasing to a future matchup between them. And Hiromu and Naito have uh, interaction post-match as well to kind of set up the anniversary show. Yeah, that was very interesting, um, you know, celebrating post-match, and Hiromu just kind of grabs Naito, looks to put him in the time bomb, and Naito slips out, and then they're kind of going back and forth for a little bit there. That was really cool, I thought, and a great thing about Naito's title reign is that as champion, he can, uh, a little bit to your point earlier, Josh, the fact that he's not this dominant, uh, you know, figure as champion, kind of like when Okada was champion, it's like, he was the man. He won everything. Like, they pushed him as hard as you possibly could. With Naito, there's a little bit more vulnerability, so he could actually set up a bunch, of, a bunch of different feuds with different people. Like we just saw here with Osprey and Hiromu both getting in some words with Naito, and then obviously the build-up to Hiromu and Naito's match. So I'm really excited about that match. Like I said, that's the match where I, I think Naito is going to bring it hard against Hiromu, and we're going to see what he has left in that tank of his and because we know Hiromu is going to bring it at that top, top tier level. Even in this random match, he really brought it more than, than basically anybody else. Uh, him and Osprey had some good interactions as well. Uh, definitely excited about the future of Naito and Osprey as well as Naito and Hiromu. Definitely. So then that takes us to the semi-main event of the evening for the never openweight six-man tag team championships. We had the champions, Shingo, Evil, and Bushi successfully defend against Toriano, Colt Cabana, and Orisuke Taguchi. Well, I, I thought that uh, Yano, Cabana, and Taguchi were the champions. <laughs> that, that could be confusing to the viewers. Uh, since, they had uh, the belts. They yeah. came out with the belts. <laughs> well, actually, they, they did not come out with the belts. Oh. So the belts were under the ring. They hid them. <laughs> and uh, Red Shoes was asking for them. And finally, they revealed that they had the belts under the ring. And they tried to... Uh, Leave the match with the belts. <laughs> when, when did they do that? Before the show started, I suppose? <laughs> yeah, they planted the belts under the ring. They yeah, paid off the ring crew? Yeah, the young, uh, uh, Regal son. Uh, <laughs> one of the new young lions there. Uh, listen, a big story of baseball is the Astros cheating scandal. I think we saw it here with uh, the Yano team. Uh, they had somebody stealing some signs for them. They gave them the signal and helped put that, those titles under the ring at just the right moment. Mm. Well, I remember the last time there was a big cheating scandal in Japan. Uh, Yano decided to be fair play. Yano, one of my favorite storylines of that year's G1. So um, I'm all for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this match here, it was fine. Obviously, if you're a fan of the Yano, Cabana, Taguchi antics, you got a lot of that, and with Shingo and Evil and Bushi just trying to, you know, outwork the antics and trying to wrestle and deal with the comedy stuff until they could finally put them away. Bushi uh, spit the the toxic black mist in uh, Taguchi's eyes and uh, got the win there for Lij. 
That's right. Bushi gets the win here. Uh, he, he he refuses to be a loss post on this tour. I mean, the first one he did, but later on he didn't take the fall, and he got a win here. Well, you know, uh, these are titles that get, like, traded pretty pretty regularly. So, I mean, I was just glad to see Shingo Evil and Bushi, you know, hold on to those titles. And uh, Shingo is still the king of never. <laughs> yeah, double never. Big big title win for a big title defense for Lij here, uh, no <laughs> doubt completely changed the course of Bushi's uh, career path, and Shingo will be the main eventer very quickly. I think this is a huge elevating win for all of Lij. Evil as well. They're all going to be world champions in the future. I have because it, of this. Here. <laughs> I have it on good record that the uh, the odds for the best super juniors went up significantly in favor of Bushi post this win. So you're absolutely right, Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know your sources. I think your bookie may be working you. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't trust those. Uh, that well, I'm, t- I'm taking those odds. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you want to bet live on air? Like, I'll, I'll, I'll run the. I'll take the risk that Bushi will not win the tournament. If, if you would like, <laughs> just wait till he actually wins. I'm gonna. Do a whole victory lap. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so uh, let's move on yep. to the main event here of New Japan Road Night 2. We have the IWGP Tag Team titles on the line. Girls of Destiny, Tamatanga, and Tangaloa defending against the Golden Aces, Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi. Um, it, was, it, was, it got good, but it didn't start good. Um, not my favorite title match of all time. Again... Um, not quite as long as some of the other main events. It was only 20 minutes, but I felt like they could have shaved this down. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Dylan? I think this is like almost the opposite of the other two matches, uh, or the junior tag title match, especially in that, in that match, it felt like there was a long portion at the start and a long portion at the end. That was really, really good. And this one, it's like, there was a portion at the start and a portion at the end, which really sucked. And then the middle part actually ended up turning out. Pre- it, like, it was on its way to getting good, and then they went right back uh, to their normal tricks with the the referee getting pulled out, the title shot. Uh, I we've seen that a million times. That's never gonna. That's always gonna downgrade a match for me. Whenever we see stuff like that, just mm-hmm. because it's so uncreative and like just really lame, to be honest. Uh, if I if I were a new fan and saw stuff like that, that would really turn me off of, of all their matches. And, but like I said, there were good parts too. When they actually wrestled during the middle portion of the match, I think it was getting there to where it could be a really strong match. I think there was too much of the Bullet Club stuff that took it down eventually, but it wasn't a terrible match either. Uh, it was better than like some of the Bullet Club six-mans. And seeing new champions is a great thing for this division. I'm just so afraid because I remember talking on, my, on the Eastern Lariat about New Japan uh, our last episode, actually, we went, we went through all kinds of stuff where we think they're going to go for a year. And almost all of them, all when it came to the titles and the champions, almost every answer for me was like, well, uh, I think he'll have a long title reign to, to set this up. And I feel like historically, especially with the tag titles and, you know, never title, junior tag title we talked about earlier, historically – long title reigns are not really a thing that, like that much. It's much more likely they drop them fast. But I think that the tag titles really need these two to have a big title reign and elevate them to elevate the entire division, which I think 
they could if they let them and that they deserve it. Like they're great wrestlers. Both of them, I think, are really strong performers. But they just need to be given the chance to elevate this division. Well, it, I'll tell you one thing. Suddenly, those IWGP tag titles started looking real good around the waist of Tanahashi <laughs> and Ibushi. Like, normally, I'm like, oh, there's, there's IWGP tag team titles. Now, I saw them around those two guys. I'm like, oh, wow. Those titles look good right now. <laughs> uh, titles. Like, just, just having these guys hold them. It's way better than a, a, the 50th Gorillas of Destiny title reign. You know, Evil and Sonata versus Gorillas of Destiny. I, I don't want to see that again. And they're, it's not like the matches were horrible. But there's just nothing to them. There's no juice. There's no drama. There's no interest. Now we have something different and something that's actually not just different for the sake of being different, which would have been fine anyway. Right. The division desperately needed. But actually something different and is really cool and elevates the titles because, like you said, these guys are main event top stars. Now they have the tag titles. So it's great work uh, to put these titles on them. Well, I didn't love the match, but there's there are a lot of talking points when it comes to this match. One thing is, um, one thing I noticed is, you know, Abushi got dumped, right? And then you have Tanahashi, and he's isolated, and they pretty much make it look like he's going to be in trouble. They put him up for the super uh, power bomb, but then he was able to get out of that, do a twist and shout, you know, do the sling blade, and hit the high five flow, and he was about to win before the referee was pulled out. At that point, I was kind of like, Tanahashi's like literally about to single-handedly win the match without the assistance of Ibushi at that point, which I, I was kind of like, eh, I don't know about that. But, um, you know, ultimately, these guys were able to kind of overcome the odds. and we, we got new champions, and I think for the health of the division, it's a really positive step in the, in, in the right direction. You know, it's something we, we've ad- advocated for for a long time, you know, talking about, you know, kind of comparing the tag division in New Japan to how maybe say like all Japan had treated it, you know, in the nineties where you could have top stars who weren't involved with major, um, storylines or feuds, you know, possibly kind of, uh, spend some time in the tag division, kind of make it more meaningful. So that, that is pretty awesome. One thing I think though, is the fact that they did take the titles off of Finjuice very quickly, kind of alluding to what, uh, Dylan said. And then almost immediately God kind of dropped the titles. Was that, the right call to kind of go that way. I know that they had sort of teased a matchup between Finn juice and uh, the golden aces to begin with. So I wasn't sure why they even had to do that in the first place. I mean, what do you guys think? Go ahead, Dylan. Uh, no, I wouldn't have done that at all. I think it would have been much more interesting if Finn juice had not lost the titles to the gorillas of destiny. And they could have built that up for it. That should have been to me. If I were in charge of new Japan, like Finn Juice versus the Golden Aces would have been a Dominion match. Like let the Finn Juice get a couple of title defenses, vanquish the Gorillas, face whoever's next. The Evil Sonata. That's the only other team like regularly. <laughs> that Cabana Yano. Oh yeah, yeah, Cabana and Yano. Yeah, they they were built up well. They well they haven't gone for the titles yet, but they they deserve it after all of their big wins. Uh, that they've had, so sure, uh, but like let them have a little bit of a run, and then you could have the big match at Dominion. And say, hey, this is the hottest team we've seen in a long time with Finn Juice, uh, which actually isn't even that impressive. Just six months, but the division is still true. So, so somehow, it feels like and we the hottest team versus the main eventers. Let them have a bang out match. 
really impress people because I don't think this match really impressed anybody. Uh, this Gorillas match, with with all due respect to them, I just don't think it was that kind of match. And I think the division needs standout performances, not just oh, let's tell our heel story and get some heat for this match. The titles don't need that. They need standout main event level performances in the match. So I think that's what I would have rather have them done. Yeah, absolutely agree with you, Dylan. I feel like the more interesting match would have been Golden Aces and Finn Juice. I know they had such a big moment at the Dome winning those titles. It was a big moment for Finley getting his first title in the company. They're, they could have done a lot with Finn Juice as champions going throughout the year. But I do understand that, A, they want to do a title change on the U.S. tour and B, they wanted to do the the heel face dynamic here with the Golden Aces against a heel team of God instead of doing these two bay face teams together. So I understand that. And overall, I thought the match it was kind of exactly what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't really low on it. It was it's, it's pretty much exactly what I pictured with a lot of the bull club shenanigans, God trying to cheat, and then obviously Tanahashi and Ibushi having to fight from underneath and kind of come back and, you know, overcome Jado and all the, the belt shots and the ref pullouts and all that stuff. So, you know, I went three and a half on the match. It's exactly yeah. kind of where I thought it was going to be. Obviously not a blow away main event, but I'm very happy with Tanahashi and Ibushi as champions, and they can do a lot of very interesting things with uh, these guys as the champions that can main event um, some of the, the B-level tours, if you don't want to do, you know, IC match, IWGP title match, or a never title match, you now have the, that tag title match you can do with Abushi and Tanahashi defending against another super team, which I think we're going to see on the line, you know, post the match after they won, they got attacked by the dangerous techers, Zack Sabre Jr. and Taichi. Yeah, that that is a really, really awesome thing that happened. So, you know, we have this incredible moment where you've got these two guys standing tall with their belts and then, you know, Tai Chi and, and ZSJ come out. They attack these guys. They get all the heat in the world. They cut, you know, these scathing promos. The fans are firmly against them, anti-Tai Chi, which he's been getting a lot of, uh, you know, big pops and, and fan support, but not on this night in Cork. And they were, you know, telling him to go home and, you know, he was rebuttaling them. And so it sets up a very enticing and exciting uh, new challenger for the titles going forward, which is what this division desperately needs. Um, so I, I loved it. I loved this post-match. Yeah, I was, I was low on the match itself, uh, just two and three quarters for me. But the the angle and the storytelling and the booking – really strong like like my, in my opinion like i think that's a really good thing and just it doesn't even matter who it is really just seeing a, some, a new fresh team go for the titles i think that's awesome now my only hope again is that it's not they don't go too heavy in the heel tactics realm uh, similar to what right. they did in this match gorillas because i again i think that's great and all to have a heel babyface dynamic which i think i agree with you that that's their thinking uh, and there's nothing wrong with that normally what the division needs, though, is something else. Like, they need top-tier performances. Right. And if we're going to do the tai-, tai Chi nonsense, then I'd, I don't know if I'm going to be down for that. But I think Zach uh, can definitely do it. And we've seen Tai Chi versus Ishii that have amazing matches and stuff. A uh, bit of a redemption story here uh, to finally go for the tag titles. I think that I ha- I'm cautiously optimistic, but I do worry a little bit that they're going to go into more of a 
shenanigan-filled match, which is something that's not going to appeal to me. And I also don't think it's the right thing for the division, in fact. Well, the one thing I will say is this. uh, You know, watching the last two years of the uh, World Tag League, which, yes, we watched the entire World Tag League. (laughs) Um, The one standout team every year has been Dangerous Techers. These are, you know, and I totally see your... uh, uh, potential, you know, um, worries when it comes to, you know, the, the outside interference. And that's definitely something that could happen, you know, with them having like a lot of shenanigans and fuckery in their matches. But that being said, these guys have been dynamic in the matches that we have seen them in over those last two tournaments. And so I have no reason to, to doubt that they wouldn't potentially have a really great match given the history of great performances they've had in the world tag league. Sure. I, I definitely think the potential is there. I agree with you. They had a good run uh, through the tag league. They, they weren't my top favorite, but only one team can have Ishii in it. You, you know, <laughs> like not, not every team has Ishii. So. Uh, besides them, though, the Techers definitely stood out. And yeah, it could be a good match. Like I said, I just I, I wanted to point that out because we just had a match like that and they started off this feud with a kind of like a heel attack. Uh, so I, people get intoxicated by the heat in wrestling sometimes. Uh, and I think that may lead them to want to do more. But hopefully you're right, and we see some more of the techers we saw in the tournament. That really takes things to that next level. And we had a few questions here. Uh, first from uh, Reddit user Rambone Slam Pig. It says, with the new tag champs being bigger stars than is typical, do you think this is a sign that the division might be taken a little bit more seriously in the near term? I definitely think it is. Um, one thing I wanted to point out is, I disagreed with the booking of how we got here. I I agree with Dylan. I think I thought that they should have kept the titles on Finjuice and built to the proposed match that they teased between um you know the uh the Golden Aces and Finjuice which I'm sure down the line we might even still wind up getting that match but I felt like it would have been healthier for the division for them to hold on to those belts. I wouldn't have necessarily held it off to Dominion but given them you know, one, maybe two tile defenses. And then when they come in with that momentum, then the the fact that they already teased and built up the match, it's a bigger deal at that point. I think the fear that they had was that they didn't want to bury those guys by having them lose to these two established stars. But I think it, it had the negative effect of doing that anyways because they immediately dropped the titles to G.O.D., and it made them look weak. Whether there was, you know, outside interference or a belt shot or not, they still lost those titles very quickly. And it would have been healthier for the division for them to come in strong. And like Dylan said, to have a good performance against the Golden Aces, and they could have been made to be, to have been looked. They could have been basically been presented to be on an an equal playing level. And if they had a really good performance, then there might be. Uh, people supporting them to basically go for the titles again down the line. Now all that momentum that they built up through the tag league and, and at wrestle kingdom is kind of diminished. And I don't hear anybody really talking about, you know, fin juice or wanting to see them challenge for the titles again. But as far as like, uh, you know, the potential of the, the division being taken more seriously. I mean, we're seeing that already with dangerous techers challenging. And, you know, those are two guys who are established on varying levels as single stars we're seeing that with Abushi and Tanahashi. So, yeah, anytime you put the those belts on two big established top stars like those guys, it it does nothing but benefit the division. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I think yeah, this is going to be great for the division this year, and just kind of getting this focus. You have you know two guys like Tanahashi and Ibushi carrying the division. I think it could be great. Yeah, I don't know how anybody could disagree with that. This is a great thing for the division. Now the goal, and I hope I'm hopeful that when Gato came up with this idea of putting these two together as a full-time team, or at least a tag team title winning team, that he had an idea in mind that like, look, 2020, I want to build this division up. Uh, it's been, you know, it's been lackluster for so long, uh, or at least a, back, a background player in the landscape of New Japan for so long. Let's build it up to where it could be something that's special that people could actually want for. And when they uh, change the titles, it's going to be a big deal just because it's Tanahashi Nabushi. So that automatically elevates the titles. And like you said, you both said, it helps takes the, the it helps them take the division more seriously in their booking because now they have to figure out how are we going to elevate somebody, a team, and particularly a person in the team, but really both of them have to be elevated. How are we going to elevate a team to get on these two main adventures levels? And when they do drop the title eventually, that could be the making of a new star in and of itself, just for pinning Tanahashi or Ibushi and taking a title from them. And I think that will automatically have two big teams in, in the division. And it was a great decision. Uh, ultimately, despite my feelings about Finn Juice or the booking, I still think the putting the titles on the Golden Aces was definitely the right call, and it will help them take the division more serious. And speaking of dropping titles, the next question comes from Reddit user Viking Payne. He says, who do you see Golden Aces dropping the tag titles to, and do you think their downfall will lead to a possible Ibushi heel turn? Well, that's a really great question. As far as who they're going to drop the titles to, I don't know specifically. I wouldn't be completely surprised if it didn't wind up being Finn Juice, um, you know, since they seem to kind of be players that have been established in that division and aren't showing any signs of leaving the division anytime, you know, soon. So maybe that is a big match that they will build to, and uh, hopefully they can kind of rectify, you know, maybe the booking error not doing it to begin with. Um, whoever they drop the tiles to, though, it needs to be somebody that is meaningful that they can, you know, I mean, they could go the opposite way. They could have them uh, defeat some other, some other like amalgamation team of big stars and kind of keep that trend going. But I would like it to be like an established tag team that can kind of have further meaning for the division down the line. Um, as far as it leading to a possible Ibushi heel turn, I don't know that. But I think there are some interesting points when it comes to this. This tag team of the Golden Aces is something that's very positive for the division, but I have heard some some thought and speculation about whether or not it's beneficial for Ibushi from a personal standpoint when you talk about his career. Because, I mean, you look at where Ibushi is, and, I mean, his relationship with, with Tanahashi was one that was built out of, like, him admiring him, him looking up to him, and seeing him as, like, a goal and a rival. You know, he called him a wrestling god. And when he beat him at the G1 this past year, it almost seemed like it was going to be this kind of, like, changing of the guard with the fact that Ibushi, like, signed the quote-unquote lifetime <laughs> contract. It almost felt like, whoa, is this guy, he's going into Wrestle Kingdom, is he going to be, like, the new leader of Hantai? Is he going to be, like, the top guy going forward, you know? Are they sort of passing that torch? But now, with him tagging with Tanahashi and Tanahashi sort of being, like, they're coming out to Tanahashi's music... He's kind of like 
playing second fiddle to him. We already saw that with like the Golden Aces in the past. I do wonder if it is like a step back to some degree for Ibushi to be teaming with Tanahashi. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. But I'm wondering if they're doing that on purpose to like um, Viking Pain suggesting here to set up, I don't know, maybe a heel turn, but at least a, a, another kind of big Ibushi Tanahashi match. Yeah, I, I think that is more likely than a quote unquote heel turn for Ibushi. Like, I, I don't see that happening at all. Uh, but they could use it to split these guys off and build up to a, like a main event level match at some point with them uh, if they wanted to do that. But I think the title uh, run is great. Uh, like I said, in terms of Ibushi, what you said, Josh, it's interesting. My only uh, counter to that, I guess you could say, is let's say this never happened. What, considering the landscape of New Japan right now, where would he be without this team? Right, you know, because I think I think he'd be like even more lost. Like it's, it's almost like because of the double title situation, it, necessita- it necessitated a change for Ibushi. Uh, you know, or like not not necessarily Ibushi, but the booking of Ibushi that he needed to do this because there is no intercontinental title right now and the never title is not historically been something he's gone after or his style in a long time uh, since he was still a junior heavyweight practically so well like the only thing he could have done realistically to maintain a spotlight on every show is win the tag titles <laughs> with, with tanahashi uh, they could handle it a little bit better in terms of him playing second fiddle because i agree with you it comes across like tanahashi's the leader of the team and i think they should try and make it a little bit more uh, even going forward maybe have ibushi's music uh, be what they come out to sometimes but i think it's a good thing overall i don't think i don't really have a problem with it at all to, to be honest I, I think it's a good decision and i think ibushi will be fine with it wherever they go yeah i don't have a problem with it uh necessarily and i mean you, you bring up good points i mean what would he be doing at this point but you know he took the he lost the biggest match of his career to okada and then he you know, was defeated the second night in the uh, Constellation match to Jay White. And so it sort of seemed like he would be rebuilding or something of that nature. And instead it was sort of like, he's like a duck. Like the water just kind of fell off his back. Like they never really even, he just kind of like was thrown into this uh, tag situation with uh, Tanahashi. And I, again, I think it's a great thing for the division. And I, I love this tag team. Like I love, you know, the fact that the golden aces is a thing. I just wonder if they are kind of missing out on an opportunity to, to tell a story where he has to kind of rebuild himself. And instead it's like, he's just kind of shifted his focus and attention elsewhere instead of like fo- focusing on his career. Um, you know, and I guess there's just a part of me that's sort of like, I saw him play second fiddle for a long time to Kenny Omega and that kind of sucked. And uh, hopefully, who knows, maybe this does spin off into something bigger for him. Um, my, only, my only doubt to that is how haphazardly they book the tag division. I could see them just dropping the title and then him just moving on to something else. And it's sort of like this is just a pit stop until they find something better for him to do, which I hope that's not the case. I hope they do book it into something that has storyline implications for him that furthers him, you know? Yeah, and, you know, to bring up your your point with the whole Kenny and Ibushi comparison to, to Ibushi and Tanahashi, I think the small difference there is Kenny and Ibushi were kind of like on the same level, so to speak, and kind of saw each other, supposed to see each other as mutual peers, where Ibushi sees Tanahashi as like, you know, this somebody I look up to, somebody I want to be like, um, you know, somebody, you know, he admires, 
So to him, it's probably an honor to quote unquote be second fiddle to Tanahashi, mm-hmm. come out to his music, get a team to him. He's living, you know, the boyhood dream of like teaming up with like my hero. And he's probably enjoying that. And but now he's Edge and Tanahashi's Hogan. I don't like that. <laughs> I thought that same thing too. I was literally oh, thinking that when you were talking. Uh, Abushi already passed Tanahashi. That's my only thinking. Is like Tanahashi is past right. Abushi is past Tanahashi. Right. He should be the big star. As a viewer, yes, we you know obviously Tanahashi's on the on the down end of his career, and Abushi's coming up. And to us, yes, you know, in rings point, Abushi is you know the better athlete right now. But, but in, in story too, he beat him. Right. He passed him. He won the G one. He won but the freaking G one. He still he still sees Tanahashi as. As you know, and I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, can, can we all agree on one thing? If this ends up with Ibushi, much like when Edge did the Hogan promo, can we see Ibushi do the air guitar? Because if so, I think this is a t- team. All <laughs> <laughs> we had one more question from uh, Dom Homie 101. He said, uh, Thoughts on the Golden Aces winning the tag team gold? Will them winning the ta- uh, winning take the tag team division to new heights, or is Gato playing with our emotions? Um, he also said non-New Japan question with WrestleMania week coming to Tampa in April. Is there a lot of buzz for the upcoming Mania week in Tampa? Well, um, as far as, you know, we've kind of already shared our thoughts on going is winning the tag team goal. And I think we're all kind of on the same page thinking that it's, it's going to be great for the division. And if booked correctly, um, it can take the division to new heights and it could, but I don't trust Gato. I he don't I, like these tag teams. He doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> Ahead, I, I wanted to say that that you were totally right about that. Like for all we know, they could drop them at Sakura Genesis right back to Grills of Destiny for like with some kind of literally Kenta runs out and attacks them both. Uh, Jay White and Kenta attack both of them and set up new feuds uh, that way. Like we, you know, it could easily be something like that. Uh, but we, like you said, Jeremy, hopefully we all we all hope that <laughs> this is good anyway. Yeah, I, I think of it being Tanahashi and Ibushi, Gato's going to take a little bit more care and good point. Um, you know, cares to the direction. Obviously, Tanahashi is still a top star in promotion. Ibushi's a top star in promotion. These are draws. These are guys who you know bring in merchandise, bring in fans, and so I definitely think he's going to be a, a little bit more delicate what he's doing with these two guys, and I think. We're going to see, um, you know, a little bit more, you know, intricate storylines here with this tag division with Ibushi and Tanahashi on top. And uh, for the WrestleMania question, we'll hold that off till we get to the uh, other questions at the end of the show. There. You can't separate it like you normally do. I know. I, I cut it and pasted that as, oh, we, as we were talking. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm botching. <laughs> Let's uh, go through the Manabu Nakanishi retirement event very quickly. Yep, so open things up here with uh, Tiger Mask and Gabriel Kidd defeating Yotosuji and Yuyamura. So rematch of the previous night, and uh, Tiger Mask Kid team gets the win again. Yep, I have no thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's much, nothing much to add there. Dylan, do you have anything there? Big difference was he won it with the armbar the first time, and this time it was this Tiger Suplex. So whichever <laughs> finish you like better, that's, that was your favorite match, but otherwise they were the same. After that, Suzuki, Taichi, Desperado, and Kanemaru took on the team of Yano, Colt Cabana, Taguchi, and Rocky Romero with uh, the Suzuki-Goon team picking up the win here. Yeah, so uh, you know, Suzuki had a, uh, Suzuki-Goon had a hard time picking up wins this tour and finally getting a win here. Um, Taichi had a stretch plum on Rocky Romero to get the win for the team. So clearly they're, you know, building up Taichi as he's looking for a tag title shot and 
with New Japan Cup right around the corner. Uh, yeah, very, very, uh, you know, middling match, I would say. But, you know, it was fine for what it was. Yeah. So then next up, we had uh, Sonata, Hiromu Takahashi, and Bushi defeating the team of Sho, Yo, and Tohanare here. And I think, obviously, the most kind of interesting thing here is the fact that uh, Bushi and Hiromu here, they picked up the win on Yo. So one would think that win would want to set up a junior tag title match with Bushi and Hiromu against Sho and Yo. The the tour of greatness continues for Bushi here. <laughs> Another like three and one record, one of his best uh, spurts of a tour so far. I think uh, like in many years for Bushi right now. So congratulations to Big Bushi right now. Hiromu. <laughs> Love him. Like anytime he gets a win, I'm always happy, and that could be a good match. You know, Hiromu Bushi versus Sho and Yo. Love to see it. Love to see Hiromu going for double titles, and I I love the push they're giving Hiromu right now. Out of everybody in the company, I think Hiromu is getting the best push uh, of anybody right now. So I can't wait to see what happens with him next. Yep, uh, Bushi Hiromu against uh, Rapongi 3K. Sign me up. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Dylan. You know. Potential double titles there for Hiromu and they've been talking about it now in commentary like how everybody kind of wants double titles you see like Sabres going after the tag title and the US title and um, just other you know Shingo's the current double never champion and now Hiromu wants to be a double junior champion and he wants to be the IWGP champion so you have multiple guys kind of going after multiple belts you know double gold dash kind of set the theme for this year so far uh, you know, 2020, double 20s, double titles, and you have multiple guys wanting double gold. Not a big fan of it. Until they start holding, like, 10 belts, like their Ultimo, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those are high standards. <laughs> right right there you have there. I, I like it. You know, you, like, facts. You know, you have to shoot for the moon on these things. You know, when you have somebody that does eight, he raised the bar. You know, you, you got you to gotta understand how things go. Uh, sometimes, but I will say that's kind of a thing. Like what you said about the 2020. Um, obviously, Chinese and Japanese are not the same thing. Like I'm part Japanese or part Chinese. Uh, like numbers and numerical symmetry is like a big thing in like uh, that in that culture. I'm sure it's very similar in Japan. Uh, the way they talk about the new eras and everything like that. So I'm certain that probably ha- actually does have something to do with it. Actually, the 2020 could help. Uh, you know, lead to this double title storyline that they keep pushing a lot. Yep, and then um, after that we had an uh, eight-man tag match as Jay White, Fal- uh, Balak Fale, and G.O.D. took on the team of Juice Robinson, Dave Finley, Togi Makabe, and Tomo Okihama. Yep, so uh, yeah, Bullet Club gets the win here. We had some interference by Master Heater Jado with the kendo shot, which led into the Blade Runner on Hanma, and Bullet Club gained the win here. Obviously, they're trying to heat up. Jay White for New Japan Cup, and then obviously they want to get G.O.D. probably in contention for another tag title shot down the line. Yeah, Bullet Club and uh, Suzuki Goon just kind of there on this tour. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's time to banish Jay to the Shadow Realm, I think is what we <laughs> this this match. That Blade Runner looked horrible on Honma, and I've never liked that move, but especially on Honma. Uh, it was not the best, <laughs> I, I would say. You don't, you don't like the sister Abigail? <laughs> no. Uh, I, would, I would never. 
Not, not even with, uh, you know, Jay. I love how when he did that, he immediately was like, no, it's not like that. Actually, Alex Shelley used this move. Uh, but <laughs> it still sucks. Even, even even when he used it, like the move sucked. That's why he didn't do it that much in his biggest run. Uh, so take that. Get rid of the, the stupid Blade Runner. Get a better move. And don't wrestle Honma. I think were the lesson, lessons learned. I mean, I actually like the Blade Runner, but I, I do think the problem where it was, was Hanma, he, he, you know, just holding him in, in that position, he couldn't really hold it that well, and then just how he landed to, yeah, just didn't look great here. Semi-main event, Tetsuya Naito, Shingo and Evil taking on Tomohiro Ishii, Yoshihashi, and Will Ospreay, and this match was really good. Yeah, so now this was, you know, the LIJ Chaos match that we normally get on these tours these guys kind of going, you know, a little bit higher level here. Right, it's in, pizza. In that, in that three-and-a-half-star range. Uh, I really like this matchup here. Obviously, you a lot of guys with great chemistry, you know, uh, Shingo and Ishii, Ishii and Evil, Shingo and Osprey, especially the, the Shingo-Osprey, you know, kind of sequences in here in this match were, you know, were great, you know, just, you know, shades of the, the best of the Super Junior match. And then also you got, you know, Osprey and Naito and, Naito and Ishii, so I think you had a lot of good mix of guys here. Yeah, that previous match, if it was pizza, was kind of like the kind you'd get in the cafeteria in elementary school, or maybe like at the gas station. Not great, but, you know, it's pretty good. This would be more like your Papa John's. You know, it's not going to blow you away, but it's good. It's pizza. Is it old Papa John's or new Papa John's? Because they changed it. You know, <laughs> but I think I think I think it got worse a little bit. So, you know, to me, this is I strong agree. This is full blown pizza. Uh, I'd say old Papa John's. I think I think it was, you know, like the old the old style was better, and this was a good match. I really liked it. Uh, you know, definitely made this back end of the show worth watching. I thought everybody looked good, and a, yet another good performance. I agree with you that, to me, Shingo ultimately was the X factor in this match. Whatever he was in, things took a big step up. And the other guys were good, too. This is probably Naito's better, one of his better performances, and Evil looked good. But Shingo was the main guy. But yet another good performance for my main man, Yoshihashi. And I think in 2020, again, bringing back the Chinese uh, perspective, the year of the rat, he looks like Rat Boy. Bring him <laughs> in. Get the titles on, my man. He's He looks horrible. You know, I, like, let's be real. I know that there are some detractors out there of Naito's title run and his, you know, you know, basically his in-ring performance isn't, uh, you know, indicative of where he's slotted in the company. And whether you agree with that or not, there are some people that were saying, you know, someone who's been presented as being lower tier like Yoshihashi performing so well through many stretches of the match against... Uh, Naito, there were some criticisms of that. What do you guys think about that? Well, yeah, that was actually a question that we had from uh, Dan Coffin, we will get to a little bit later. But yeah, Dan asked, you know, why does Naito keep looking so weak in these multi-man matches? Uh, and Shingo looks like a wrestling god out there. Naito na- nearly gets pinned by Yoshi F and Hashi. But um, you know, I, I just think it's kind of like what you pointed out earlier, Josh, where you know Naito was not made to be looking like a Superman. He kind of in the underdog kind of role going into double gold dash. And now in a, a match here with Yoshihashi, obviously Yoshihashi is a guy they want to kind of get over for New Japan Cup. And they always kind of give Yoshihashi some good booking going into tournaments to make you think he's going to be a strong competitor. And, you know, what better way to give him a little bit of rub than get some near falls over the double champion? 
And that, that I didn't like that question because the gif he posted was actually like a really good segment. <laughs> that, that, like that, like that segment was way better than Naito and Okada's run uh, from a couple of nights before. Like Yoshiashi looked good in there, and it was it was a fine. There was nothing wrong with that at all. It's just a six man tag. It's not like Yoshiashi's going for the title any anytime soon. Uh, but Naito, you know. They all I can say is it's the year of the rat. This is Yoshihashi's era, and I think we saw the groundwork laid in this match. I liked that it was the pumping bomber into the Destino that picked up the win there. I liked that combo, even though there was a pinfall in between. I still like that. Um, that's one tag team that I wouldn't mind seeing go for a title challenge, maybe on like a road to type show, maybe Shingo and uh Naito. That'd be cool. Especially if we get the Tanahashi Naito uh, feud that they've kind of teased. Maybe say around like, I don't know, Dontaku time period, something like that. You know, uh, in the in the we saw something similar a couple years ago when um it was Goto and Okada challenged when when Okada was they were both champions and they challenged uh, for the IWGP titles against uh, Evil and Sonata. I wouldn't mind seeing those two guys challenge for the uh you know for the titles against uh the golden aces yeah that'd be cool that that tells all kinds of stories too like that's a great idea you could go with you could even say something like naito because shingo's always talking about i'm the double champion too my title's the best and naito could be like well now we could have three titles <laughs> together <laughs> pretty much. everyone else wants two titles but now i've got three so uh, yeah what do you think about that also but then you can also yeah. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, uh, I was going to say, you could also tell the story of Tanahashi. You mentioned their feud with Naito. If he could easily get a pinfall in that match, retain the titles, and that could set up a title challenge, too. So I think that's a great idea, actually, to have Naito and Shingo be a team. Also, I mean, there's always Ibushi and uh, Shingo, a big match that would freaking kill that. I don't yeah, think that, we've seen. So. Yeah, that would be incredible. <laughs> oh, okay. But uh, after that... Um, Prior to our main event, we got an incredible Manabu Nakanishi video package filled with career highlights and Nakanishi eating his monster morning. I loved this video package, and then it was highlighted with Ricky Choshu joining Japanese commentary for this match. Uh, yeah, I mean, when New Japan does a VTR or they do a, a, you know, a video package, they really do it, and this was awesome. Yeah, I really like the kind of highlight there, especially, you know, as a kind of more recent New Japan fan in the last couple of years, I really don't know much about Nakanishi's kind of past and career. So to kind of see some of those highlights and uh, some of the videos from his past was really cool. And obviously, you know, the Monster Morning is, you know, it's awesome, you know, those huge, you know, breakfasts that he eats all the time. So that was cool. And like you mentioned, yeah, we had uh, Ricky Chosu coming down on the uh, Japanese commentary. The only thing I know is that Noki wasn't in this video, so it must not <laughs> He doesn't but, he doesn't care about Nakanishi as much as Tiger. Yeah, he's like, eh, Nakanishi, I don't I don't know. <laughs> but, but no, no, it was really good and it showcased him not just as a wrestler, but those monster warning um that helped make him popular in Japan. Yeah. Uh not not wrestling just on TV pretty much. Uh so I uh, his career, maybe if you're a newer fan, you're like, hey, he he was really over and <laughs> a star at one point in his career. I never saw this when he was super old and after his injury. Uh, so they did encapsulate that well. A really good way to set up the main event. I love this main event. We had uh, the all-star team of Kazushiko Okada, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kota Ibushi, 
and Hiroki Goto taking on the New Japan Dads for one final ride. Nakanishi, Nagata, Kojima, and Tenzan. Just like you, Josh, I love this match. This was uh, a great main event, a great way to wrap up Nakanishi's career. You watched it twice. Yeah, I watched this match twice. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, all the New Japan dads were had their A game on. They were working super hard. And, you know, Okada, Tana, Ibushi, and Goto were working really hard, too, and really wanted to make this a special match for Nakanishi's uh, retirement here. And just so many great, um, you know, sequences and maneuvers. The crowd was so into this match, cheering all the New Japan dads and, you know, booing Tanahashi, booing Ibushi, not liking when they were getting the advantage and really, really wanted to see Nakanishi and his team get the win. You know, they've been building these guys up. They've been getting wins leading into this show, making you think they have a chance of potentially knocking off this all-star team. And, uh, yeah, I just really enjoyed this thing. Yeah, so this team, come, you know, these New Japan dads came in with three prior victories back to back to back uh, on this tour, and they were, you know, trying everything in their power desperately to defeat, you know, this all-star, you know, um, (laughs) you know, team of, of just the top guys in New Japan. And so they went out there. There was a lot of really memorable stuff. Like you said, everybody was working hard. I mean, Nakanishi did a freaking, you know, Crossbody off the top rope. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, I loved the moment when all the uh, New Japan dads ended up hitting their uh, submission finishers mm. on on them simultaneously in the ring. Um, and then, yeah, it was really cool of um, Tanahashi and Abushi. They they instead of they could easily have gotten uh, you know pops for themselves and and had that sort of thing going, but instead. They played the crowd, and they knew the one way that they could get heat on themselves was to do the Mongolian chops to Tenzan, and uh, the, the crowd did not like that whatsoever, regardless of how popular those two guys are. This this crowd was so pro Nakanishi. They wanted, I mean, oh, yeah, that's another thing. That moment when he walked out and everyone had their Nakanishi signs, that was a special moment. Dude, he came out in the, the white jacket. Yes. So, yeah. like, that, they were so, like, Behind these guys and they just wanted desperately to see them win. It was a really special moment and um, Ultimately though at the end there when Nakanishi after he ran wild did all his big stuff When he got isolated and each one of these guys hit their finishers on him one after another after and he was struggling to get up that was like a special moment. That was Dude, like that was kind of sad. It was sad, bro. <laughs> it was the I'm sorry. I, I love, love you. you. Wow, eat this Kamagoye. <laughs> Dylan, what were your thoughts on this? Strong agree with both of your points. I loved this match. I thought this was my favorite match of the whole tour. Uh, everything about it was awesome, and like this is the best match Nakanishi's had in so long. And everyone did great in this match. There was no weak links. Uh, everyone tried their best. Like you said, that finishing stretch was just incredible to me. I was so, like like I said, Nakanishi's not somebody I was like, I had these emotional feelings for or anything like that. He was my all-time favorite or anything. But by the time that part happened where the finishing stretch, I was like standing up while watching it because it was so good. It was such a good story told that you can only, you know, you can only see this sort of thing in wrestling in a weird way and it totally worked the crowd so bought in so well here to the old guys 
like fully behind them, as you said. The young guys, the all-star team, had their uh, did a great job getting heat with them. Everything about this match was just totally awesome, in my opinion. I, this is one of my favorite matches in New Japan this year. I, I loved it, and everybody deserves credit, I, I think. And Nakanishi, what a, what a performance on his last match. Uh, well-deserved uh, retirement here, and what a great way to go out. Yeah, that moment when they put all the uh, the you know where they hit all of their submissions uh, from the dads at the same time, and then it got broken up. Um, Nakanishi hit the Hercules cutter on Tanahashi for two, and then he fired up and he went for the German suplex. And you know, if you noticed in the video package, the one time that he ever won the IWGP title was against Tanahashi, and it was in Cork and Hall. And you know, fun fact. The only time that the IWGB titles ever changed hands in Cork and Hall was when Nakanishi defeated Tanahashi. So they teased him hitting the German suplex on Tanahashi once again, and then it got broken up and we went into that final sequence. But I was like, oh, he's going to hit the German. <laughs> I was I was so excited for it. But, uh, yeah, couldn't agree with you guys more. I think this was my favorite match of – I wouldn't say it was the best match of the tour because obviously Ishii and Shingo was incredible – Man, I enjoyed this so much, and I I didn't expect to. I thought it was going to be – I had much lower expectations. I loved it. Yeah. Just seeing Nakanishi and, like, Tenzan and, you know, how some of these guys like Okada performed in this tour, even watching those other matches, he was far from blow away. And so seeing this match, see everybody hit their top potential, and this was just awesome, I, I thought. And yeah, like you said, the rebound German uh, off the ropes, which is how he beat Tanahashi. Uh, his specialized German suplex version, where <laughs> he bounces off the ropes first. Uh, and Nagata actually did that move, because uh, they're best friends in real life, Nagata and Nakanishi, obviously. Right. Uh, so he, he had his, he, when he had his final G1 run, Nagata started doing that move as well later on in his career, the rebound German. So a uh, big shout out to Nakanishi. At least his move will, will live on if, if Nagata ever gets a big match again. <laughs> Post-match, we got the Nakanishi retirement ceremony. It was just so awesome. They they had a moment for each one of the New Japan dads to kind of uh, talk. You know, Tenzan spoke about his, their history together and he wasn't sure if Nakanishi should even be retiring before, <laughs> before him or not. Um, Kojima broke down and was just praising him. Call, they, they, they all talked. They had such kind words. They talked about how kind he was and how much of an example he was. Uh, Nagata was especially poignant because he talked about their, their 27 years together and how he's always tried to follow Nakanishi's example and, you know, kind of alluding to the, to the fact that, like, Nakanishi was the guy that they all looked up to because of his shoot wrestling background and, you know, how accomplished he was coming into New Japan prior to their pro careers. And, um, you know, they all posed together. Then we got, you know, Seiji Sakaguchi came out, which we haven't seen him in a long time. That was, we might not got Anoki, but we got Sakaguchi, which was freaking awesome. Yeah. And uh, Hiroshi Hase came out. Ricky Choshu came out. Um, Harold Mai, Sugabayashi, all the Hantai crew, everybody was out there. Like, And then we got the 10 bell salute. For some reason, they, they both had really good uh, retirement celebrations, but this affected me a lot more than the Tiger one. I don't, I'm not, I think it was probably because of the words of everybody, but this was awesome. And also, too, what I loved about this ceremony was the fact that, like, when Nakanishi was in the ring with, you know, like Fujinami and Hase and Choshu, all these guys that he's looked up to, 
he was like turned into like a little kid. Like he turned into a mark, yeah. a mark. Like he couldn't believe. Like he was kind of like a little bit in shock. Like, all right, I'm in the ring with these guys. Like, <laughs> what do, what do I do? Like I gotta I gotta play it cool. But wait a minute, I'm not cool. I'm so excited right now. Uh, what do I do? <laughs> yeah, everyone was just tears all around. Uh, Nakanishi was you know breaking down. It was awesome. I loved everything about this. Listen, you even got somebody from the the diet to come in with, with Hase. Yeah, that's how that's how big Nakanishi was uh, here. But and what can you say about this? This was so emotional for everybody involved. You could tell that uh, he meant a lot to these guys. You know, and that's the the kinship that comes. Like the dojo system, it's tough, and some people would say uh, it's it's as much of a a, a curse as a blessing but one thing you can guarantee it does is form special kind of bonds when you go through stuff together just like these third generation guys did and that's why it's so important and they had everybody here uh, or like a lot of guys sakaguchi you mentioned that was that was pretty wild but just very cool just an awesome moment and something that i'll be remembering for a long long time and you can't say that a lot about uh, any wrestling moment but this definitely holds up to me we had a couple questions. Uh, first one from Viking Pain. He said, "Do you guys have any favorite matches, memories, or moments involving Tiger or Nakanishi?" Uh, for me, uh, you know, I really for Tiger, nothing really stands out for me as anything super memorable. Um, for Nakanishi, I mean, this match is going to be probably one of my favorite Nakanishi moments and memories and standout for because you know, obviously. I kind of came in the game a little bit late here watching New Japan um, full time. And so I really don't have a good grasp on, you know, Nakanishi's full kind of background and history and kind of what he did building up. You know, when I came in, he was already, you know, New Japan dad and kind of looking rough in these matches and me just kind of dreading having yeah. to watch all these Nakanishi matches. But um, I know he he had a great pass, won the title, but. This moment, this match here, this retirement match was was awesome, and the build to it was awesome. So, this will probably end up being my favorite Nakanishi moment. What about you, Dylan? Yeah, to me, two moments for him really stand out, and that is when he won the title, and we we mentioned that match uh, versus Tanahashi, uh, May two thousand nine. And the thing is that that was kind of like. They gave him the title because he was there a long time, pretty much. They right. they respected him. He went through everything. It wasn't meant to be a long title reign. He lost it right back to Tanahashi that, like a couple of weeks later. But another one is the 1999 G1 Climax Final, uh, where he won the G1, beat Keiji Muto. The crowd went nuts for him, and you could see why they thought he really was like a top, like top tier star type of guy. Uh, just based on the crowd reaction more than anything. Uh, he had some other good matches. I don't know if all of them are uh, online now because I, I wanted to get a good view of the third generation when I, I first started watching. Uh, if you could find it, he had a, ma a match against <laughs> You're not going to believe this probably. But uh, he had a match against Boss Rutan, which was really good, like in 2002. I've never Rutan, seen like, that. Yeah, if you could find it online... It's really good. Anything Boss Rutan did in New Japan is really good, actually. But it, this Nakanishi match was really strong. I thought he had a good match with Takayama in uh, the G1, I think, 2002. Yes. And, yeah, he was a really good worker at those times. Uh, not great like, you know, Nagata or Kojima. 
he never really actually lived up to what his potential could have been, I feel like. But a lot of that was also he came at a really rough time where things were changing. Uh, his his G1 win was really mistimed. Uh, it was right around the time ha- Hashimoto and Ogawa were feuding. Uh, Inokiism was going a little crazy. And he just was a, kind of like an odd man out. He never got to that level that I think a lot of people thought he could have. But he still became a celebrity through the show. He got the title reign, had some good matches, uh, had a really fun tag team. Uh, this was probably around the time I started watching, or uh, maybe I just missed it. But uh, he had a really fun tag team with this guy, Takao Mori, called Wild Child, uh, late 2000s, good team. So everything he did was pretty solid. After his neck injury, things got real rough, like, like you said, Jeremy. It was pretty hard to watch him a lot of these last few years. Occasionally, he'd do something good. 2016, he had a really good match with Nagata at the end of the year. Uh, probably his best match. I and then there was that this match. One. Yeah. Yeah. See, like strong match, right? And here, this match here is right up there with a legendary match for him, in my opinion. And what a great way to go out. So th- those are the matches that came to my head when I thought about Nakanishi. Yeah. I mean, for me with Tiger Hattori, I mean, he's just, um, he was a staple of new Japan all throughout like the nineties. Uh, you know, for yeah. a long time, he was like the number two guy. Um, you know, like as far as like the uh, senior um, referees, but like towards the late nineties, early two thousands, he was, you know, the primary head referee. He did end up leaving um, in the early two thousands. I think he left with Ricky Choshu, but then a little less than a year later, he came back and, you know, he kind of facilitated like the foreign uh, liaison officer. He was like the, you know, and like an official referee there, but he also did freelance work. I mean, he was a, he worked Noah shows. He worked a lot of independence. I mean, he was kind of all over the place for a long time. And I mean, some of the most, I don't have any specifics, but I mean, some of the biggest, you know, dome show like main events, he, he's the guy that refereed them. Like there's a reason that he's so revered. So, I mean, he, a long lengthy career for Tiger Hattori, um, someone who, you know, kind of like what Dylan mentioned, like as a fan growing up, we couldn't watch new Japan live or anything like that. So it wasn't even like growing up that I was watching full shows or anything. I was just watching select matches, but he was always there. He was a staple of the company. And it's like, you knew him, you knew, you knew the, the short, you know, ponytailed referee (laughs) in the polo. Like that's who he was. And uh, he was awesome. Um, As far as like Nakanishi, I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth, Dylan, his, his title win in 2009, his G1 win over Muto in 1999, those definitely stand out. A couple other things, I mean, even just his excursion to WCW when he was, uh, what was he, he was Kurosawa? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he didn't do anything that was too notable there, but I, I just remember, like, Kurosawa being a thing, <laughs> you know? And so for some older fans who used to watch WCW, that's also something kind of memorable. Um he had a really great tag team in the uh, late 90s with Satoshi Kojima. They ended up winning the IWGB Tag Team Championships in, like, 97. And that's kind of, like, a memorable period of his career as well. Um, and, I mean, even just, like, later on when he kind of got passed over. A lot of people thought he was going to maybe become a big star during the Inokism period, just given his uh, credentials. But um, he kind of got passed over. But the fact that they were able to trust him when they brought in guys like Bob Sapp or they brought in a guy like a Brock Lesnar, he's kind of the guy that they trusted to help kind of like 
get their feet wet when it came to working in Japan, which was a, you know, a big honor that they even trust him to sort of do that sort of thing. And then, um, you know, when he did, uh, get injured and he came back, he, obviously he was never the same after that injury, but I'll never forget when he came back at King of pro wrestling and the, the ovation that he got and the support from the, the audience and the fans afterwards. So, I mean, um, those are just a couple other things, but, uh, you know, it'll be sad to see them go. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, that kind of wraps things up. Uh, what do we have? Oh, yeah, we have one more question here, actually. So from uh, Reddit user Dom, who we 101, he says, with the career of Nakanishi being over, what will be his legacy? Where does he rank among his era? How will he be remembered? Oh, that's a loaded question. Um, as far as his legacy goes, I mean, Nakanishi is one of the most accomplished uh, collegiate and, you know, uh, like actual competitive um, level amateur wrestlers that had ever come into New Japan, which was a big deal back in the day. Um, you know, his accomplishments outside of New Japan before he, I mean, he was, he placed, I think he was like first in the world when he was a teenager, which was like a, a huge, huge deal. And he's somebody that like people thought were, he, he had like Olympic aspirations. That's how good of an amateur wrestler Nakanishi was in, in the, you know, late eighties and nineties, that sort of thing. Um, What's that? Actually, he was he actually was in the Olympics. Oh, did he? Did it? Yeah, ninety two. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. And then, um, you know, when he came in, you know, we always talk about like with young lines, it's hard to like kind of know where they will or won't go. At the time when he came in, people thought like, look at his body. Like a lot of young lines did not look like Manabu Nakanishi when he came in. The way that people uh, talk about like when we talk about. Um, Katsuya Kitamura and like how he thought like the world was, you know, before him. That's how people thought of Nakanishi. And, you know, there, there definitely were setbacks and maybe some things that didn't pan out the way that we kind of thought it would go for him. Um, you know, he never did. He never was the top guy in the promotion the way that people thought he probably would be. But I mean, you look at his legacy. I mean, he wrestled for what, like over 30 years. Um, he was always there. He was always consistent. Um, he's one of the best power wrestlers in new Japan history as, as far as like coming out of the dojo goes. And I think like when you rank him amongst his era, no, he didn't have as many great matches as many of his contemporaries and, and that sort of thing. But the fact that he was, cons I, I don't know, I guess one thing I could kind of like relate it to is like, it's not a perfect analogy, but maybe like the way people see Kane in WWE, like he was never the top guy. But he had memorable moments. He was a, a marketable star. He was memorable. He was safe. He was consistent. People loved working with him. That and and he and like being a, a a locker room leader that people looked up to and giving back to the business and training other people. That's how people look at Manabu Nakanishi. That's kind of like his legacy. Yeah, I think really his legacy in terms of legacy uh, and where would he rank and all of that. Um, like I said, like you were saying, you, you, you were right. His amateur credentials really helped him when coming in, especially at the time period he came in. Uh, he, he just can't come from like the Olympics when he came to new Japan, actually. Uh, you know, like it, it was so like, it was a big deal when he signed like more so than any other person. The thing that hurt him really more than anything is like I said, pretty much the biggest win of his career was that she won win over right. Muto. And it was at one of the worst possible times mm. uh, because of how things were going. 
Uh, Muto was like world champion at the time, IWGP champion at the time. But the problem was they were moving into a direction where they wanted the, you know, wanted the legit fighters like Ogawa and stuff uh, to do their thing. And even then, after that kind of flamed out, uh, whoever you want to blame, and there were some great matches with all that. I don't hate Anokiism like some people do, but it's there's no doubt it wasn't successful, uh, you know, however you want to look at it. But when all that ended up flaming out, maybe he could, like if they had went with him then, he might have been able to step up. We just don't know. The problem was, at that point, he had already had his big win two years before, and they wanted to go to younger talent at that point, uh, like Ten, you know, Tenzon, who had never gotten his win at the time. So he kind of like stepped in his place, and they botched that push too. So <laughs> I don't don't feel bad, Nakanishi, on that on that end. Um, as a worker, definitely not on the level of Nagata or Kojima. Uh, even Tenzon in his prime was a much better wrestler than Nakanishi, actually. But the thing that he has that the others don't that will really aid his legacy and might make it even the biggest is his basically celebrity based on his TV appearances. Uh, like that's going to be his main remembrance from a lot of people in Japan as a wrestler. Like I said, I think many people will look upon him fondly. He was never bad, but he never really lived up to his, uh, what, what could have been. But I also think you have to, it's not fair to put it all on him or lack of talent because he did have talent. It's more so the timing of it all. He was kind of unlucky, uh, ultimately, and obviously unlucky with the spinal cord injury that, that he had later on, which uh, clearly slowed him down. But I think, if anything, he had so much heart to continue for almost 10 years after that devastating injury that uh, at his age, that a lot of people are going to remember him very fondly. And anytime he shows up for commentary or special events or anything like that, he'll be greeted with a great reception uh, from the fans. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, so yeah, that's gonna wrap things up there for the um, the Corkin shows here and the Nakanishi retirement show here. Um, and you know, Dylan, we've been keeping you a, a long time. We really appreciate it. Um, you know, it was your pick for the the recommended match of the week. So, how about you do that and do your plugs, and then we can get you out of here, man. Ah, uh, man, uh, it's been awesome being on here talking with you guys. I, I've loved doing the show. So it ain't no problem with me uh, doing this thing with y'all. In terms of the match of the week, though, I, I just wanted to keep it on brand since we ended with Nakanishi's retirement. And I loved that match so much. I know we all did. Uh, I wanted to talk about the match of the week this week would be Nakanishi's title win. We brought it up against Tanahashi, which was also one of his best matches, in fact. Uh, this took place on May 6th, 2009. It's very easy to find on New Japan World. I think they just put that up now. Because uh, it was right on the front page. It was uh, from uh, Dissidents uh, at a Cork and Hall show. Right, a- It was right after Wrestling Dontaku, uh, like this show happened. And it was a great match. Like, even now watching it, you could see a glimpse of Tanahashi when he was younger, too. And I really hated Tanahashi in this era. Like, when I first started watching, <laughs> uh, at first I was, like, I was like, yeah, Tanahashi's cool. But then it's like, oh, crap, he does the same match over and over. <laughs> like, I like, like, I really hope someone else wins. Uh, so whenever somebody would beat him, I always popped. So I was like, oh, Nakanishi. Like, like yeah. Um, they had a really good finishing run. It wasn't like this huge, like, epic match with a million near falls like you see today. But everything was well worked. They closed it with the move you said, uh, Josh, about him using the German suplex that he did against the – he bounced him off the ropes and hit the German suplex. Uh, great pop. The crowd went crazy for him. Uh, in Corquin. 
I don't know the official number for how many people were there, but it was a pretty a pretty big gate for Corquin that year. Uh, I'm sure since it was 2009, they probably gave some fake number. <laughs> That's even higher than it is. But it was still a lot of people. They went insane for him when he won. It was a huge upset Like when that happened. like Nobody thought it would win. Like Literally, this was like a very small show compared to Dontaku that just happened a few days before. Uh, you, if you look at the video, you'll see that uh, they have his trainer Kotetsu Yamamoto. He's crying on commentary for him. Uh, Nagata runs into the ring and gives him a hug. It's like a real moment. Like he finally wins the title. Uh, really fun, fun match. Really cool stuff there. Uh, highly recommended. Check that out. May six, two thousand nine. Nakanishi winning the title over Tanahashi for the only time in his career. Awesome. Now, tell our listeners where they can find you online, uh, how they can find your podcast, all of the projects you're working on, man. Uh, man, like, again, I really got to thank you guys for having me on the show. Uh, hopefully I represented uh, well enough and didn't bore your listeners to tears with my terrible takes. But uh, the truth is I lied about everything. I didn't watch any of this. I don't even watch wrestling. <laughs> I just made up all and so, hey, ho- hopefully it all sounded good. I was really just guessing what happened and trying to follow you guys' lead. But no, no, if you, you want to hear about any kind of wrestling in Japan, you got to hit up the Eastern Lariat. Me and my good friend Striga, who runs cagematch.net, a really good resource for any kind of wrestling podcast or fans or anything. They, you could get trapped. It's like the Wikipedia of wrestling almost because you could uh, look at one guy and then go to a, look at their match list and then say, oh, look at this guy. I wonder how many titles he won. And then you'll be lost and it'll be like an hour later. You'll be still looking at guys on there. So uh, check that out. Check out the Eastern Lariat. We do a lot of cool stuff. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Eastern Lariat. Twitter account at Eastern Lariat. If you want to look at my spinoff show, which is all about Joshi Pro Res, Stringer's not on that that much. Uh, sometimes I interview people. Sometimes I bring up people from uh, that know a lot about Joshi Wrestling, sometimes even better than me, but not that many times. There's been people that know more than me about it. But still, <laughs> uh, check it out. Pure Heart, Pure Lariat, all about uh, Joshi Pro Wrestling and honoring women's wrestling in Japan, modern and in the past as well. Uh I do a Lucha Libre show as well, and I'm probably going to record that pretty soon. Uh, it's called Lucha Talk. I host that with Alfredo Esparza, who runs LuchaWorld.com. Also, Microman Fever. He translates a lot of stuff online for Sp- you know Spanish-speaking readers to English-speaking. Uh, it's a really cool show about Lucha Libre if you ever want to get a feel for that. And, yeah, I think that's about it for me. Those are the main things. I've done all kinds of stuff here and there. Uh if I had to listen to list one episode, especially for the Eastern Lariat, uh, I really would recommend checking out the best of the decade episode we did, which covered all of Japanese wrestling, not just New Japan. We had all Japan, Noah, and even smaller companies. I talked a little bit about Battle Arts, which is my favorite promotion. I love uh, Battle close. Arts. Yeah, yeah, Battle Arts is my favorite promotion. Uh, like, uh, and I like everything going on in wrestling has been so great to me. Uh, not just wrestling itself, but just doing all of these shows and writing. I used to write for a website called Pro Res Spirit uh, when I did that. Uh, I got to meet like Yuki Ishikawa, like one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Mm. Actually, him talk to me, show me wrestling that for battle arts that he loved. So I was, uh, I'm just so blessed in this wrestling world, man. And uh, so anytime you guys want to have me on, if the listeners don't uh, boycott me, uh, anytime you guys want to have me on, I'm all for it because I, I love doing the show with you guys, and hopefully the listeners enjoyed it as well. And when you're ready to have me on to talk about Diet Butcher, just let me know. 
<laughs> hey, y'all are welcome anytime. <laughs> Either one of y'all are, are welcome. As I, the thing is, the thing is, Striga, he's from Germany, so you're gonna have to do it at a very weird and inconvenient <laughs> time, probably for for you guys. So just keep that in mind if you ever want to come on the Eastern Lariat. But the the, the offer is extended. Yeah, definitely. We're down to come on there, man. And all, dude, you're definitely welcome back anytime here on Keeping a Strong Style. We'll definitely have you on again in the future, man. Uh, thank you so much, man. Keeping it Memphis style when I'm on, baby. <laughs> I, I, I got you know, I got to represent right now. You know, North Memphis. You know, you not many people uh, come out of there to do shows like this. I guarantee you that. But still, like I said, uh, thank you so much, and thank you to everybody who listened. All right, man. Thank you for coming on, and uh, have a good night. You too, man. Have a good night to both of y'all. All right, so it's going to wrap some things up here. So uh, real quick with some uh, New Japan news items. Um, UK, you know, there's been a lot of questions what's going on with the UK this year. Well, it was reported in this week's Wrestling Observer, also teased on the Super Jcast, that there is something in the plans for the UK at the Cobber Box um, sometime Later in the fall, so no exact date yet, no no complete confirmation on the New Japan side, but that's what's being reported in the newsletter. Well, I think Jcast had actually like put out an official tweet about it. I'll find it here in just a second. Okay, because I know they they were teasing it with code on their their last uh, week's episode, but I didn't see anything else from them since then. Yeah, I'll look it up, but we'll we'll, we'll keep going. All right, then we had a question here from Viking Payne. With the rumors that New Japan is going to run another UK show this year, do you guys fear this show will suffer from lag and technical difficulties like the London show last year, or do you think New Japan and Fight TV has learned from their previous mistakes? I'm hoping that they don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would hope that they that you know Royal Quest was a learning experience and they can kind of figure out uh, what went wrong there. On the fight TV side Yeah I mean I, I don't have any reason To anticipate that they would Have the same issues that they had The you know the first time Around but um, I mean That is Something we've talked about is some of The production issues with even some of These US tours so hopefully um, You know that that doesn't I mean We didn't see any issues when they did the Australia shows right so hopefully they've kind of figured this thing out. Then there has been rumors that Jushin Thunder Liger will be one of the inductees in the WWE Hall of Fame this year. It has not been officially announced by WWE yet on their programming, but uh, several sources have been reporting that Liger will be inducted this year in Tampa, Florida. Then we also had news about uh, New Japan opening up talks uh, to get back on U.S. television uh, not 100% sure. You know, we've heard rumors of different channels we've talked about, but nothing solid on what exactly they're looking for. Um, there was also talk, you know, there was potential for them that they could, if they want to, they could potentially sue Access TV for getting booted off a year early from their deal, but doesn't look like they want to do that. Just looking to find a new U.S. deal. So we have our, definitely have our eyes uh, peeled on where they end up. Then on March 3rd, obviously, we have the anniversary show coming up, main evented with Tetsuya Naito versus Hiromu Takahashi. And it's uh, sold out the Ota Ward Gym, which would be just over 4,000 tickets. And then here we had um, New Japan being referenced in pop culture. 
the ABC sitcom Blackish had a reference to Tanahashi and Okada from Wrestle Kingdom. So that clip kind of went viral and it's been all over the place. We retweeted it. So if you haven't seen that, check that out. And then one last news item here as we talked about Jeff Cobb last week and his AEW appearance. We do know that Jeff Cobb was offered a deal last week and they offered him a deal where he could still work in New Japan um, if he wants to. And that's kind of where talks left off. So we'll see if Cobb ends up getting that, uh, you know, Jericho Mox contract. And if we will see Cobb down the line here in New Japan. I, I have that thing from Super J Cast. So uh, shout out to those guys. They said, uh, this was four days ago that they posted. They said, as we've hinted at in our last episode, several trusted sources have told us that a London co- Copper Box Arena show for New Japan is planned for late October with logistical support from RevPro slash Andy Q. A possible but unconfirmed date is October 24th. Nice. So yeah, so be on the lookout uh, you know, our UK listeners for that show coming down in the fall. I do feel good about that because we said many times on our show, like just that this was going to happen, you know, not that we had any sort of like insight to it, but I mean, just look at like the history of new Japan. They do it every single year. There, there wouldn't have been a good reason for them to not have done it. And so, yeah, that's good news. So, yeah, so that wraps up the news and, uh, we're kind of running out of time here, guys, uh, going over a little bit over the three-hour mark here. So we are going to bump a lot of these questions that we got to next week's show. Uh, but the one question that we're going to touch on real quick is from uh, Reddit user DomHomie101. Uh, a non-wrestling question, he says, with the knowledge of the young boy being a big-time fight fan, what are his thoughts on the Wilder Fury fight? What are, What's next for both guys? Will we see more of Fox and ESPN working together to put on fights like Wilder Fury? Okay, great question. Um, so, like you said, we're running out of time, but I'll I'll touch on this briefly. Um, and I know Jeremy also saw this fight this weekend. Uh, yeah, Fury, uh, Fury fucked up. <laughs> yeah, he, he put them hands on that boy. Um, you know, as far as like what's next for these guys, the. I don't know if you guys know this, but there was actually a uh, rematch clause in place should the loser choose to enact it within 30 days of the fight taking place. They could choose to rematch um, with the agreement being that the loser would take 40% of the purse going forward and the winner would get 60% because they did have a 50-50 split for this fight. Um, which is in, And this is interesting because the first fight they had Wilder was the A-side, and he made more money. They went 50-50 on this one. They made significantly more money for this fight, like five times more money for this fight than they did the previous. And if they fight a third time, it will be probably even a bigger deal. Um, Wilder did uh, officially enact his uh, rematch clause today, so he will be uh, challenging for the lineal and WBC World Heavyweight title um, sometime in the near future, so or at least that's the the reports that are coming out right now. Um, as far as this fight goes, I mean, this was just incredible. I mean, um, there's a lot I could talk about it, but just kind of keeping it short, what Fury did was he instead of using upper body movement and footwork and uh, you know as counter punching and and lateral movement to kind of stay on the outside like he did in the first fight, he decided to kind of put the pressure 
on um, Wilder, there were reports that he was going to uh, enact a game plan that actually ended up being exactly what he ended up doing. What he did was he uh, found his range on the outside. He used, you know, he found his range basically using his jab and then basically just peppered him with, with straight shots. And then off of those straight shots, he would keep his hands up to basically avoid the big right hand, get on the inside, push him against the ropes, work his inside game. He basically bullied him with, with dirty inside boxing and, you know, drained him by putting, he, he was the much heavier man. He made him carry his weight. He did incredible body work, not to mention the fact that Wilder also came in heavier than I think he's ever been in his entire fight. He tried to muscle up. Uh, he just never was able to get that right hand going off. And the problem with Wilder is as good of a fighter he is, he's not good going backwards. He's n And he's not a great defensive fighter. And, uh, you know, one of those shots in the second round actually burst his eardrum, so his equilibrium was off the whole fight. And Tyson Fury was a man, bro. Both of these guys were men. But, like, Fury just came forward. What most people wouldn't do against Wilder, he you know, enacted his game plan perfectly and just demolished him. Wilder was pretty much done after the second or third round, and he stayed in there for four more rounds and absorbed the punishment and tried his hardest to get the opening that just never would come. Uh, really, really, really great fight. Um, Fury proved to everybody that he is the best heavyweight in the world of boxing today. Um, I'm excited for a third fight. Um, you know, asking about ESPN and Fox working together, I think some sort of conglomeration of networks or promoters are going to have to work together to do that third fight. And I believe that, um, you know, with PBC and top rank working together, something of that nature is going to have to happen for this to take place again. Um, money talks. So, uh, and, and let me just say this fury will be the favorite going into the third fight and he probably should and will win. But Wilder's right hand is, People are going to sleep on him. You just never know, man. You just never know. I know he didn't land on this night, but he could in the third fight. You just really don't know. So um, he needs to work on a lot of things. Uh, hopefully he comes back stronger, but uh, I love this fight. Yeah, it's a really good fight. You know, I'm not really the biggest boxing fan, um, but I know I did see the first fight they had. I saw this fight. It was a very entertaining fight, very good fight. Like you mentioned, Josh, um, you know, Fury just kind of uh, bully Wilder, used that that weight advantage, you know, like I said, made him carry that weight and just he had a game plan. He stuck to it and he threw Wilder off. I mean, after the busted eardrum, you could definitely tell his equilibrium was off and he just was a little looked a little like wobbly there. So the, the biggest thing is that he trained he changed his trainer and he decided to work with uh, Sugar Hill from the Cronk City boxing gym. Those guys have trained the Klitschko's and uh um Adonna Stevenson and in the past, you know, that's the famous gym that trained Tommy Hearns. They they know how to teach long rangy fighters how to sit down on their punches and snap them and work from the outside, which was something that Fury was having trouble doing, you know, in the in the previous fight because he's so light footed and just moving around and using his upper body movement that he doesn't really sit down on his punches. But in this fight he did and it made all the difference in the world. And I just want to say that I've been telling people for a long time that someone was going to beat up Wilder because he had a lot of defensive issues. And I told people, I still favored Wilder to win this fight, but I told a lot of people, it, you even saw it in the group thread where I was like, dude, someone's going to piece this guy up and it could be Fury. Yeah. It wasn't likely, but I was like, there's no reason Fury couldn't knock him out. People thought he couldn't, but I was like, the dude's got 20 knockouts. He's 270 pounds. Like, 
Of course he can knock out, <laughs> you know, at that weight class. Of course he can, and he stopped him, so it was pretty awesome. Uh, but let's move on to the recommended match of the week. So your recommended match of the week last week was the New Japan Cup final from 2015, Goto against Kota Ibushi. I watched this match this past weekend, and uh, before I talk about it, Jeremy, i got to ask you, why did you recommend this match? Not that it wasn't a great match, but it just seems so random. Well, it kind of was. I mean, for me, as I'm picking out my recommended match of the week, it's a little bit easier for me to just kind of try and find a theme and go with it. So, you know, we, we have New Japan Cup right around the corner. I figured let's get hyped up. Let's watch some New Japan Cup finals. So, literally, I Googled New Japan Cup, <laughs> went to Wiki. <laughs> Had a list of all the finals. I was like, let me go back a little bit. I was like, You're mm. like oh, go to Ibushi. I'm like, go to Ibushi. That can't be bad. You Banger. Know, 20, 2015, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, five years ago now or four years ago, however long ago. And I was like, you know, it's, let's do that. Yeah, I remember that I hadn't seen this match in a long time, but I do remember it. You know, this was hot off the heels of the famous uh, Wrestle Kingdom match between Nakamura and Ibushi. Ibushi, a longtime, uh, you know, competitor in the junior division. He was making his first official step up to the heavyweight division. And, you know, I don't think a lot of people thought he was going to win this New Japan Cup. And when he did, it was like a huge deal, especially considering he went to the finals against Goto, who at the time was... And, and, I mean, Goto was still a big star, but Goto was a bigger star at the time. He was still seen as, like, a main event level type guy. And even in that year, he traded wins over the IC title with Nakamura. So it kind of tells you where his stature in the company was at that time. And him being Mr. New Japan Cup, you know, the guy who's won it more times than anybody else. And, uh, you know, finding himself in a very familiar place, the finals against, you know, this young junior heavyweight, you know, upstart in uh, Kota Ibushi. It was a very interesting matchup. And, um, you know, 2015 wasn't that long ago, but you'll notice, I noticed right away watching this match that the pacing and style of the match is so different from what we see in today's New Japan Pro Wrestling. Like, yes, they, there's similarities that you'll see, like as far as like the action goes, the big moves, the selling, but the pacing of the match is very different. It's much, it was much more measured, much, uh, I would even say a little more simplistic. Like there wasn't as, I think when Kenny um, really like made his presence known in the, uh, in the heavyweight division, it really changed the house style of New Japan to a, a huge degree. But up to this point, they were still like, this is still more reminiscent of like your classic New Japan uh, main event style match. Great match. I would go about four stars on it. Um, Abushi was just, you know, out there. It, it was so strange because the match was long, but it didn't seem long at all. Like I breezed right through it. And, yeah. Um, you know, Abushi hitting all of his junior offense, but kind of mixing it in with some of the heavyweight stuff. And then uh, Goto, you know, crumbling him with giant lariats and giant elbows and chops and just kicking the crap out of him. And um, towards the end, when it seemed like Goto was going to pick up the win, um, Abushi kind of, like, got him in the uh, last ride powerbomb. And I was like, oh, he won. Like, that's it. And then Goto kicked out, and I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> and then he goes straight up to the top, hits the Phoenix, Phoenix Plex. Splash, yeah. Or the Phoenix Splash, picks up the one, two, three. You know, in modern days, you wouldn't, this probably wouldn't have been the finish. Like he would have hit the, you know, he would have hit the freaking last ride and then they would have traded like finishers. There would have been like 
a bunch of like crazy sequences and people coming off the ropes and like they didn't do that. It was like he he got him hurt, he put him down, he kicked out, went to the top, hit him again, one, two, three. Um, I really enjoyed the match and it was a really great moment. The post match for Abushi was awesome. Um and this set up the you know, the big match between Abushi and uh AJ Styles at Invasion Attack, which is a whole nother thing. So, yeah, if you haven't seen this match, I'd say I definitely say go out of your way to to kind of uh, check it out. It's very very interesting, just kind of contrast it to the house style that that that's around today, and even to just kind of see where Abushi was as a competitor. I mean, he was still dynamic, but he was so less polished, uh, which you know. I think he was still doing incredible stuff on, like, the independent scene, even, like, here in the States and, and you know, in DDT and all that. But he hadn't fully acclimated to that heavyweight style just yet. And it's, so, so it was real interesting. Yeah, he's so much better now, which is crazy. He is better now. He was, still, he was still great then. But, like, now, like you mentioned, he's got that heavyweight style. He's a more well-rounded performer. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's definitely interesting watching Boosie 2015 compared to now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's going to wrap things up. You know, thanks, uh, Dylan, once again for coming on. We got. I can't wait to watch Nakanishi and Tanahashi. Yeah, Dylan's uh, recommended match of the week, Nakanishi versus Tanahashi. So uh, next week, we will, uh, Josh and I will both watch that, and we'll talk about it in the recommended match of the week segment next week. And speaking of next week's episode, it'll be our review of the 48th anniversary show. Now, the anniversary show is on Tuesday morning, March 3rd which means the show next week will be delayed because normally we record on Monday nights and the show is dropping on Tuesday. So we will work that out and try and get the show up as soon as possible. Um, March is just going to be crazy, 15 shows. I'm not going to be available to record the week after that. I'll be out of town in Nashville, North Carolina. All right, well, we'll get somebody uh, on the line there for you. Rich. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll get Rich or maybe uh, Chris Samson or somebody. But yeah, we'll yeah. March is going to be a, a little bit sticky with the 15 live events and uh, 31 days there, and then also you know WrestleMania weekends right on top of that. But we will do our best to give you the coverage that you expect from us. And like I mentioned, next week's show will be a little bit delayed uh, based on when we can watch the anniversary show and get our uh, review recorded. Thank you guys for listening week after week. Your support is so. You know, appreciated. I, I know it's been a long episode, but you know, there's a lot of podcasts you guys could be listening to throughout the week, and the fact that you're here, you know, uh, you know, listening to what we do and and the audio content we put out for you guys means all the world. Yes, thank you so much. So next week we'll be back with our 48th anniversary review. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com/slash/donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure you check out our social media. On Twitter, I am at Jeremy L. Donovan. The show is at KI Strong Style. You can also follow us at Social Suplex. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash social suplex. You can find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash wrestling squared circle. On Instagram, we're at social suplex. You can follow us on Reddit. I am the pro black guy. Y'all just keeping it strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. Make sure you check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. 
On Sundays, we have One Show Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. On Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show from Scotland. Every other Wednesday, we have a podcast dedicated to independent wrestling. Grown Men Watch This Shit, hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryant. On Fridays, we have Get In The Ring with Danny and Beast Mike. And on Saturdays, we have All Things Elite with Floyd, Amy, and Tiffany. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.